0: i'll
1: keep going i need to be stopped i hope you realize that i'm using that as the intro to this episode dude i'll do the whole song if you want Okay. Welcome back, denizens of Outworld, to another episode of The Lost. I am Shad. He is Razor. And before we continue, I will do what I keep forgetting to do every other episode, which is to inform the audience that The Lost, The Nethercast, and all associated podcasts are brought to you by Testramite.com in partnership with Thereof. And the letter K. (laughs) And the letter K. Most episodes are in fact brought to you by the letter K. If that letter did not exist, I don't know that we as a franchise would exist here. In the wonderful realm of Outworld. The letter K, and hopefully soon the number 11. (laughs) It's a hard number to get to. It it really is. Nah, nah. I know guys who know guys, and they tell me things, and one of the things that they tell me is that it is happening it's just mm-hmm. gonna be a little while. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Tell you what, Jason Voorhees can't get to the number 11.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so today, we are here to talk about one particular outworld prince. Half human, half uh. dragon. Trained to fight. To, to, to conquer. conquer. To, rule! to rule! The second best song next to Chinese Ninja Warrior on that fucking soundtrack. Uh Oh, yes. So, I don't actually think that, and I'm including Scorpion and Sub-Zero in this, when I think of MK and I think of a single image, there's nothing more iconic to me apart from maybe the MK Dragon logo than the side of a Shokan. Typically the side of Goro. Hmm. He is the one.
0: (laughs) You know? Um... I mean, there are other shokans, but they're defined by how similar to or different they are from Goro. Kintaro is Goro, but a tiger guy. And Shiva is Goro, but a chick. (laughs) Precisely.
1: Although that said, I've actually never really thought that, in terms of his fighting style, that they capitalized on all that he should be doing as the martial arts champion of Outworld. Yeah, there's...
0: I mean, we can talk about his moves more in-depth as we go, but sure. I've always kind of felt like Goro gets this weird short end of the stick where he's stealing moves from the other two as the games go on. Yeah, it means
1: he has less of his own. It's like, they developed the concept of what a Shokan could do over time, but they kind of reverse-imported all of that back to him. Yeah, And it always kind of bugged me, like... For the most part, the way he fought in MK-10 was kind of the way I imagine that Kim Taro would if he were fully fleshed out.
0: They gave Goro a variation called Tigerar Fury, where he's literally imitating another members of the Showcan race. Like,
1: yeah, it's kind
0: of racist. <laughs>
1: if, if the Shokan were real, if the Shokan were real, it would be racist. <laughs> you can't use that word. Only (laughs) we can use that word! (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Sup all my Tigrars? (sniffs) (laughs) Alright. I actually fought Goro after I first fought Kentaro. I'll get into that more when we have the Kentaro retrospective, but... It was a bit of a letdown coming after the fury of the Tigrar. Yeah,
0: Kentaro, like... In the 2D era, Kentaro was easily the more intimidating of the two. Oh, yeah. Impressive as
1: all hell. He was a harder fight. He was. In the arcades. But there was something about Goro's idle animation, which is absolutely horrifying. The first time you look at it, you go, oh, shit. Because they really did a good job of, like, making those arms spin around. and look like they were about to rip you to shreds. It was nice. Yeah. There's
0: a... I mean, there there is a charm to the claymation puppet and the proportions of its body, which is silly, and it's definitely tapping into that, like, Harryhausen stuff looks silly. Yeah. But, it also, I don't know, it has, like, a personality to it that I don't know if he's still... I don't really feel that from him now that he's more... Lumbering? Well, I guess. Like, the better proportion models. Like, there's something, like, especially, like, his facial features. Like, he looks more real now, but I kind of miss that, like, really thick brow and the, like,
1: I don't know, the almost dopey expression on his face. (laughs) I do feel (laughs) that at some point they kind of brought the half-human part to the fore a little bit more than the half-dragon parts. Apart from the scales on his back, can we really say he's it, got draconian it varies features? It
0: from game to game, but, I mean, X is very inspired by the 95 movies puppet.
1: Oh, yes. We're gonna have a whole segment on that fucking puppet, tell you what. hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Still looks good to this day. I don't care what anyone says. I love how it looks. It's got <sighs> yeah, that, like, yeah, I love it. It's got that oh. magical Jim Henson timelessness behind it.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, people always say that practical effects are better than
1: CGI, and... Is it an example of a case where you can see it? Yeah, completely. So I guess we'll start back at MK1 Now we've already covered. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh... mean,
0: going back to the origins of the character. And um, we always talk about sort of where where the creators got the idea. And it's interesting to me to look at, like, Tobias's um, preliminary sketches and his, like, concept art. Because originally... um, what what the game was going to have was like just a a regular two-armed like a humanish guy who was very big and dressed the same as Goro who was like this wild man from the mountain named
1: Rokuro a thong and thigh wraps that's all they had yeah
0: yeah and and eventually that evolved into something more monstrous and supernatural and interesting and Like, in terms of, um, inspirations from, like, kung fu movies and stuff, um, there's obviously, like, the sort of the wild man from the mountains archetype is kind of, like, a common
1: trope in martial arts stuff, I think. But more than that, like- Here and there, like, the- the guy that just lives up there and doesn't really contact anyone, but- Yeah, it's just
0: whenever- whenever you need, like, a- like a barbarian character, like, somebody who's really strong and maybe not so smart. I think a bigger influence was um Bolo Young who is this um actor from the 80s who played a very large sub boss type character in both the movies Enter the Dragon and Bloodsport. Right. And I think like the decision to make him more supernatural comes from the there's like this uh big footish monster in Big Trouble in Little China who at parts in the movie sort of chases Jack Burton around. Would you believe I've
1: still never seen that movie all the way through? <sighs> Let me down, man. <laughs> you letting <sighs> us all down. I've seen Enter the Dragon like 180 times, but can't expect to see everything. Give me a break. Uh, it's, it's John Carpenter. And I'll get Russell, on it. What do you mean? <laughs> I'll get on it, I swear. And yes, I've even seen Bloodsport. I said all the way through, I tried to watch it once, and I was just really drunk and tired that night. All I remember was the Raiden-looking dude. Well, you need some culture in your life, son. (laughs) Oh, I could have such a conversation about culture, but let's not for the benefit of our listeners. (laughs) But no, Goro,
0: I think, I always think of him as, like, the Bolo Young of MK.
1: Well, yeah, he's the big obstacle, the the sub boss, the guy in the way before the main guy. Absolutely, yeah.
0: And I think I think what's interesting about Goro um, is there's sort of a a natural tendency to assume that like the big strong monster
1: character is dumb, and most of the time when we get to see him. He does subvert that completely. There's this whole like sense
0: of honor thing, which reminds me a lot of like the Klingons in Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: You know, that is probably my biggest problem with MKX's story mode. Is the fact that he's around and he's not in it. Yeah. Cause I I didn't really care much for Goro until MK4 rolled around. Or MK Gold, and he got that ending with Kung Lao.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That was
1: his like his benchmark. This is what my character is. This is what I'm made of. Moment.
0: Yeah, it's it's a face turn, and that's what makes him interesting. Exactly, is that like he's not just a bad guy. There, are, you know the the things he does. He's not like uh, cruel. He doesn't enjoy being a member of Khan's army. He does it to protect his own people. Right. And if there's an alternative, like, he always wants to do, like, the honorable thing. The thing that, like, says, no, I actually, like, I stand for something. And And...
1: then continue bringing that to the Foreign Deadly Alliance. When you began to see the full results of that face turn. When he's fighting alongside Katana.
0: Right, and then and then they dropped the ball so hard in Deception, I think his character may have been ruined forever. Like, maybe not forever, but it still hasn't quite recovered.
1: From what MKX showed us in uh, Versus Screen dialogue, he's got things like Liu Kang coming up to him and saying, you won with Shang Tsung's magic. And he goes, that is a lie! So, they haven't forgotten. He still has,
0: like, a sense of honor. But, like, and this goes for Shiva 2 and MK9, the, what their definition of honor has been twisted into something more bad guy fitting, which is not really cool.
1: Yeah. Think. I mean, Shiva, I guess I can buy it, but Goro, next to Cabal in that same game, there's no better example, I think, of character assassination. And I'm yeah. not talking bad writing like Raiden and MK9. I'm talking just people behaving the way that they are for no other reason than that the plot demands it. There's a fundamental misunderstanding
0: of why those characters are popular when it comes to what Deception did with both Cabal and Goro. And I want to get back to that later, because I want to sort of go back to um, the beginning again and sort of take it one game at a time. Yes, we have trouble doing that. We do. Um, But, like, because the cool thing, like, with Goro that they did in the original timeline... They when they dropped him off the map when he didn't come back for uh, the next game, and then the game after that, like they actually stuck to their guns for long enough that when he did come back in four, it meant something, yes, And they don't really have the patience to do that anymore. It seems like, okay, so let's go through the actual the actual like backstory.
1: Goro is. The 2,000-year-old champion of Outworld. Yes. He's... Son of King Gorback. And for the past 500
0: of those years, he has been the undefeated title holder in the MK
1: Tournament. He should, by all rights, be one of the absolute most dangerous characters that you'll ever face. And one of the things they describe him as
0: is Shang Tsung's pupil. I think that was
1: quietly dropped. Once they started developing the characters a little bit more.
0: Okay, so Goro has this move in MK1, and it came back in 9 and X, but it wasn't in, like, 4 or the 3D era. Where he sort of, he throws a punch, and a projectile of, like, a glowing green version of his fist shoots out. Yes. I was rather like that. Yeah, it, it's, that is like a magical effect, and it's different from like the fire breathing they give him in a lot of the games. And I always felt like that was sort of, that was the magic Shang taught him.
1: Good angle. I never actually considered it with that much depth and ardor. See, I just kind of figured that it was like similar to the Hadoken, that he was capable of channeling energy into his fist, and that like the old Hadoukens in Street Fighter Two, you could see the afterglow of their hands in the well, shape yeah, of the but... chi. yeah, like even that, like even shooting a fireball made of chi is something
0: you have to be trained to do. Like that is that is not a mutant power. It's a technique you learn from a master. So even then, even if it's like chi rather than sorcery, it's the same thing. It's a,
1: probably sh- something you could say that Shang Tsung taught him how to do. You could, I suppose. I'm not. I'm neither for or against it, but it's just an angle that I did not really considered.
0: Yeah, if you go back into the history, um, we we don't really know in canon how Shang and Goro met in the first place. We have sort of a, a, a headcanon idea that comes from some adaptation material, but they're, they've never really uh, ratified it for sure.
1: Yeah, because in the MK1
0: comic, when everyone's introduced, he's already on the island. Yeah, so here's here's the like the order of events is that Shang Tsung was the champion of the tournament, the like in the Earthrealm versus Outworld tournaments. He was a champion himself for like nine in a row, and at his tenth, he was beaten by the Great Kung Lao. Mm-hmm. And so. 50 years later at the next tournament, he comes back as a uh, referee, basically, and he says, well, I'm old now. I'm not going to fight anymore. Yeah. So the guy who's going to challenge you great, Kung Lao, is my boy here, Goro. And we don't really know, like, where he found this guy. I mean, obviously, they met in Outworld, um, but we don't really have, like, the specifics. But in the uh, threshold stuff, and I think the first mention is the animated The Journey Begins, is this idea that when Shang lost to Great Kung Lao and he came back to Outworld a Failure, uh, Shao Kahn punished him by forcing him to, like, he put him in this prison called the, the Cobalt Mines of Shokan. And basically made him do slave labor for fifty years. And because this was these mines are in the Shokan territory, and the Shokan are like the guards of the mines and everything. That period is where he met Goro. And he's like, Hey, how would
1: you like honor and glory in Tournament Battle? You wanna come back with me? <laughs> I think the way that I've always visualized it is again largely due to the Jeff Rovin novel. Where Shao Kahn basically said you screwed up. I can't trust you anymore. This is Goro. He's the champion. and da, 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 da. So I'm assigning him to you to fix your mistakes. And he's going to take Kung Lao and you're just going to watch. That's the way that I think that my headcanon has gone for some time. But I do like the angle you're going I... for here.
0: I like, so the reason I like the mines is because it sort of explains some things about Shang himself. Namely, why he's old. Because if the guy if the guy is running free, there's nothing stopping him from stealing a soul every couple months and just staying as young as he wants to be. But if you throw him in a prison, then he doesn't really have the
1: opportunity, and that explains why he actually aged. Wasn't there a panel showing Shao Kahn punishing him by, like, stealing his strength, or am I? Just remembering him coming back to his youth in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think that might be what you're thinking of. Yeah.
0: But yeah, um... I don't know, I just like the idea that sort of... Shang came up with the idea of bringing in a ringer all on his own. It does credit to Shang's character. I don't know how much, like, fame and glory, other than being the prince... Goro had before he started winning MK tournaments, because... Well, he had seven wives... He was doing something right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that could just be the prince thing, like Possible. Comes with being royalty. But I think like obviously Goro is inherently much taller and stronger and more powerful than any human being. It's a wonder why they weren't using
1: monsters in the tournament already. <laughs> I trot that up to plot holes in early days. It's it's fine. Not everything needs questioning. I'm all right with it. Actually, you no. Know, you can look at it like this: Why would the Shokan go and fight for the Emperor? They've got their own concern.
0: I mean, the the Shokan have like a sweetheart deal with Khan where of all the races that live in Outworld, they're his favorite, and it's because mostly it's
1: mostly because Goro has won nine tournaments. But prior to that, I'm saying Shao Kahn is not a guy I'd put a lot of faith in or trust in. So no. I could see the Shokan not necessarily wanting to go to bat for him unless there was a really good reason for it.
0: Well, I mean, the one of the things we know from the lore is that, like, Shao Kahn loves to instigate this petty bullshit between the races in his realm. Like, he encourages the Shokan and the centaurs to always be at war with each other the constant conflict makes sure that, like, you know, you're you're running people through the grinder, they're gonna come out either dead or the best warriors. And I'd like to think that the Shokan know this. They definitely know it by MK3. Yes. (laughs) But it, it feels like, at least at the point of MK1, they are enjoying it because... because Khan gives them all the best stuff and sort of gives them advantages in this. Like, they have the most territory, and the centaurs are the ones who are being shit on. And then, like, fortunes reverse after Goro loses, but not until then.
1: You can definitely see that they're his babies by MK2, the comic, where King Gorbak is so incensed and pissed off that Goro is apparently dead that he gives them Kintaro. So, this is the other best guy that we've got left to us. You know, we trust you with him. He'll help you out. Mm. I think the reason
0: that I'm thinking about, like, well, what what was Goro's career looking like before he met Shang Tsung and how much of where he is, uh, his position on the totem pole is thanks to him being the champion of the tournament is because um, at the time of MK1, Goro isn't just the champion. He's also the general of Outworld's armies.
1: Definitely doing well for himself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... This is interesting because there are a couple characters throughout um, the history of the games who are referred to as the general, but there's always only one at a time. So, like, it's not just a general rank. Like, in in the American military, we have a bunch of guys who hold the rank of general. And they're all, like, top brass, but they sort of share it. No, if you're the general of Outworld, you are, like, the number one guy. The ranks go Shao Kahn, the general and then everybody else.
1: And it's a position which changes hands fairly frequently.
0: Yeah, because people keep dying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or fucking up.
0: Like, Goro disappears at the end of MK1, so Khan needs a new general. So he's like, Kintaro, maybe? You better you better look good at this next tournament, buddy. <laughs> and then Kintaro fails, and he's like, Alright, that was two in a row, fuck the show, can Motaro's the general now. And then Shiva kills Motaro... And she has to die for being a traitor. So he's like, all right, Kano, you're the general now. But before all of them was Reiko. And Reiko's like entire story revolves around the fact that he was the best general ever. Like he's a strategy genius. But he died off screen somewhere before the games. And so in MK4, he's down in hell and he's the general of hell. Because like if, if the best general ever dies and goes to hell, why wouldn't hell make him their general? <laughs> That's more food for the raker perspective sure but I just I want to establish that there's like this order of who was the general win and what that means yes and so like Goro Goro was definitely holding this sweetheart spot and I think he was made the general after he started winning the tournaments. Like, we don't actually know when Reiko died and Goro replaced him. We just know that it happened sometime before MK1.
1: Reiko's history is a very, very spotty affair.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, because in the new timeline, Reiko never died. And I don't know who the general was when, except for it was Motaro and then Sindel. (laughs) No idea. Because, like, Goro also never disappeared, and that's a a problem, because, like like I was talking about, after Liu Kang beats Goro in the tournament. He goes underground. He goes missing. Yeah, there is there is this moment where um, as Shang Tsung, after he loses to Liu, like, throws a tantrum, makes an earthquake on the island, it's collapsing into the sea and everybody has to escape. And Goro is not escaping. He's taking this opportunity to work out his frustration on whoever the nearest people he can beat up are, which happens to be Johnny, Sonya, and Kano.
1: This is from the MK2 comic again. They're yes. fighting on the pit while the whole is right. going to but shit.
0: Tobias wrote it, so this was canon until the reboot.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So they're fighting on the pit, and the earthquake causes the pit to collapse, and Sonia, Kano, and Goro all fall in. And Johnny almost falls in, but Raiden happens to come by and catch him. And so Johnny sees them all fall in, and he thinks they're dead because it's the pit. There's spikes down there, right? But the thing about Shang's Island is because it's halfway between Earth and Outworld, the fact that it's collapsing means they're being sucked back into Outworld. So they don't really land on the spikes. They get teleported to the Living Forest. And according to the MK2 comic, the Living Forest is next to Shokan Territory. And the Shokan have been expecting Goro to come home after the tournament, and he's never come home, so they went out looking for him, and they never found him, but they did find Sonya and Kano, and they captured them, and that's how Sonya and Kano end up chained up in the arena. And so the Shokan are assuming that Goro is dead, that he died when the island collapsed, and they blame Shang, and King Gorbach wants Shang to be executed, but... Um, He comes up with the idea for MK2, so Khan is like, fine, you get to live. Suck it up, Gore back.
1: (laughs) Now, you bring up an interesting point. He disappears with them, but they find Sonya and Kano. They don't find Goro. You think that maybe his sense of honor, such as it is, had him look at his defeat and shame, see them coming, and go, I can't face my people like this, and fuck off into the night. I think I think that's exactly
0: what happened. I think it's explicitly said that he, he is so ashamed that he lost that he can't go back and face his people, so he goes into hiding. There you go. And everybody thinks Goro is dead, and he's not in MK2, and he's technically in the PlayStation version of Trilogy, but like I've said before, the PlayStation version is the one that's not canon.
1: <laughs> See, I have to disagree with that. By that, I mean, it gave us Chameleon the male, who is technically a thing that exists. Technically, he's a thing that exists, yes. I look at MK Trilogy in the whole as being canon. Kintaro could or could not be around. Goro is there for purposes of selectability. I don't believe he was actually running around during the invasion. He was off in a cave somewhere. I mean,
0: the thing about Ultimate and Trilogy is that they also have classic Sub-Zero in, and that character is definitely not canon. So it's not a stretch to say Goro is not canon
1: either. No, I don't think that he's canon in Trilogy, but... He's just there for completion's sake, yeah. As far as Trilogy goes, he's in a cave somewhere with a cast around two of his arms. (laughs) Or he's, like, flexing or whatever, or working out or getting back in shape.
0: Yeah. He's, like, doing the the Rocky Four wilderness
1: workout. Pretty much. He's probably watching things go on, and by this time, I'm actually guessing that word of... Motaro coming to the general position and the superiority of the centaur race has come to his attention much as it soon will to Shiva so that might be another reason that we don't see him i think it's i think so what what the canon
0: story is is that he does not come out of hiding until mk4 and what his in-game bio says is that the reason he comes out is to beat Liu Kang because he's finally ready to like go looking for Liu Kang and get a rematch but the the MK4 comic book which whether or not it's canon is fuzzy does it slightly different um in that it shows like K- Kitana is going to the Shokans and the Centaurs trying to get them to sign a peace treaty with each other which is, which is canon in MK4 yep And the Shokan and the Centaurs refuse, and it's about to come to a fight, and that's when Goro, like, shows up out of nowhere. And both sides, like, actually respect him so much that him showing up and endorsing it is what gets them to sign. That should be canon. I like that, because I like the idea that even to the Centaurs, Goro is like... His reputation should precede him, you know? Yeah, he's like an honorable leader. Like, they're willing to treat with that guy because they know they can
1: trust him, even though he's a show cat. should also mention briefly that the MK4 Goro bio calls uh, him Shang's protector. So I think that that's the example right there of the soft retcon of the pupil line. Yeah, I mean, the,
0: the phrase pupil is sort of a
1: weird... Like you,
0: you, you read that and you wonder what it means immediately. It's not clear. It doesn't necessarily make sense. Like, what is he teaching him? <laughs> I think, I think what what it means in this sense is like, if you're an old man, you and you go to a tournament and you're entering like your student in the tournament, and he's like, "This guy represents my dojo. He fights on my behalf." That's that's like tournament culture, right? So, like, because Goro is fighting. For Shang Tsung, that's sort of the position. So Goro apparently comes out of hiding because he wants a rematch with Liu, and it doesn't seem like he actually gets it, like the, the Shokan Centaur Peace
1: Treaty thing becomes more important to him. To be real about it, a lot of the aim of MK4 was to reestablish MK's reputation after MK3 got kind of corny and yeah. silly. And I just, I don't think that they had a plan for a sub boss like i don't even know if goro was in the original versions of mk4
0: the original arcade release didn't have goro in it i think yeah. i think he may have been console exclusive
1: anyway i think that including him having him be the first returning sub boss was definitely kind of the angle to refocus the brand yeah
0: they were they were trying to like remind people like who were sort of turned off by the urban Stuff in MK3 and all the robots and like the modernness. It was a back to its roots. Yeah, yeah. Because like they also brought back the fact that Scorpion and Sub Zero were enemies in that game. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a great idea, but they they were definitely trying to like recapture the nostalgia for the earlier games, and that's the real reason they brought Goro back. But like the most important thing about Goro being in MK4 is uh kung lao's mk gold ending
1: the moment where we started to really see what he was yeah because made out of.
0: because at this point in time kung lao had never actually had a fight with goro like it was always sort of a background part of his character that he's like this is the guy who killed my ancestor i'd kind of like to get him back for that and you're always like well the cliche thing would be for those two to fight to the death right but MK4 takes it a different way, where because Kung Lao has become a pacifist at this point, and because we're now trying to push Goro as an honorable good guy, what happens is uh, Kung Lao just kind of slashes him on the chest and like gives him a scar, and he's like, that was a ceremonial mark. It represents that we've settled our differences now. I can let it go. And then they shake hands, and they're like, okay, peace between us
1: and Goro goes out of his way to compliment uh his ancestor on his fighting prowess and his yeah. ability. He says something to the effect of him being a great man and yeah, a great warrior yeah. and you know wishing people were more like him from what i'm Something I recall. like that yeah and it's it's very like it like it just adds to both characters. It's probably i think the best mk4 ending i think. I, I would agree with that yeah. It was definitely used as a stepping stone going forward. Yeah cuz cuz if
0: you want to call it a uh, like an arc of development there definitely goes straight into deadly alliance and it's yeah. one of the few characters that does feel like a straight line from mk4 to deadly alliance cuz like there's not a lot of stuff from mk4 mentioned in mkda which is a little weird like they talk more about mk3 and how that ended and where the characters have been since then and they very little mention Shinnok and that stuff like, it comes up in Quan Chi's bio
1: because it has to. Probably because Shinnok was kind of his own beast and exactly go over all that well among the fan base for many, many, many they years. They
0: were mostly doing it just to, like, not mention the MK4 roster because it's like, where is Reiko? Nobody cares. Yeah. Where is Jarek? Nobody cares. Where is Kai? Nobody cares. And more importantly, like, where is Fujin? They'd never mention Fujin in Alliance, even though he's currently supposed to be where the protector god of Earthrealm.
1: They just go, nah, Raiden's back. If you me. know where Fujin is, call us. Call us now. Tell us where Fujin is. We'd really <laughs> like to know. Yeah, like, not
0: only is Raiden back, but Raiden got his staff back from Kai. <laughs> he's like, here, I'm giving you a gift. Two days later, I want it back. Come on, you're ruining it. You're making me look bad.
1: <laughs> you can go do that kind of thing on your own time. <laughs>
0: Give my shit back.
1: Go, wonder the earth. Search for your soul. Maybe it's over there.
0: I don't care. Just give me my stick.
1: Before we move on to Deadly Alliance, I would like to say that in terms of fighting ability and, uh, playability, MK4 was bizarrely, for me at least, the point where I think that Goro played most closely to his ideal self in my eyes. Because he felt like, you know, like everyone else did. I mean, I he does. He does. Have, Which is to say, he felt the first like a normal martial game that martial gave
0: him Kentaro's fire breath projectile instead of like there is rocket that. Fist.
1: And he also had Kentaro's
0: yeah. stop. Well, that was when Goro, he started ripping off the Kentaro stop. Goro had a leap in MK1, but it wasn't completely it wasn't off stomp. screen and down on top of you like it has been since. Yeah,
1: bloody. <laughs> thief. I just mean in terms of. Playing more like a normal martial artist yeah. than a slow, chugging guy. Like,
0: it, like That's what I liked. It Goro felt right. was animated. I think he just reused the same motions as everybody else, except that he was really tall.
1: So he felt like very nimble in MK4, and I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> I wanted to bring attention to that because it's an ongoing concern of mine. When will Goro feel like a champion martial artist and not a lumbering yeah. brute like Kentaro should feel? Yeah. So going into Deadly Alliance, Deadly Alliance slash Tournament Edition.
0: There's an interesting thing going on uh, about the, the Goro story from MK4 to Deadly Alliance, because in MK4, Um Edenia and Outworld weren't really separated. Like, MK4 treats it as though Shao Kahn has died and Sindel and, Kinta- and Kitana are ruling from his throne, and they're just calling Outworld Edenia now. So, when Kitana is making peace treaties between two Outworld races, it makes sense, because they're her subjects. But Deadly Alliance Mm -hmm. retcons it so that, no, Outworld and Edenia have separated. And the reason Kitana is making these treaties is because she's making alliances. She wants the shokan and centaurs to join him, her in going after shao khan
1: now to be fair i almost thought that the mk4 portion the way it dealt with the uh, the merging or the, or the unmerging of the Danian Outworld, was kind of spot yeah they did specify back in mk3 i think that i think it was Liu kang's ending in freeing earth realm he also frees Edenia, yeah, or something but along the lines We don't
0: know that. what those words mean. They could mean Shao Kahn is dead, which means Outworld slash Edenia is free because he's gone. It's spot. It is. It's, it's unclear, which makes it easier to retcon, I suppose.
1: <laughs> well, the end result
0: is that they are separate yes. by Deadly
1: Alliance, so... Moving forward,
0: right. So, so Deadly Alliance establishes that the the two realms have been separated. Shao Kahn is ruling Outworld, and Sindel and Katana are ruling Adenia. But Katana has come to Outworld and made treaties with Goro, so that the two of them can overthrow Shao Kahn.
1: And I really appreciated that they kept the heroic angle that they gave him. Yeah. This goes back to what I was saying before about him probably knowing around the time of MK3 that Shao Kahn was turning. Yeah, on yeah, this is. This but is it makes like perfect a, sense. A natural
0: evolution of what happened in MK3, where Shao Kahn stopped supporting the Shokan.
1: Yes, exactly. So he would have no reason to continue being loyal to him. Period. Yeah. And neither would any of the Shokan. Honestly, I could believe that Kentaro still would be because I consider Kentaro to be a sadistic dick. But by this point, yeah, logically, the entirety of the Shokan race should be in rebellion openly yeah. against him. And so so what
0: happens is and I think I think this whole this whole like turn of events was good for Katana too, because I really like the idea of her going, I'm not gonna wait for him to attack us again, I'm going after him. <laughs> yeah, she went on the offensive. Yeah, that was really good. cool. So so what happens is Katana and Goro are actually really very successful in their whole war campaign against Outworld. Um, and
1: they form yeah. a bond. Whatever their history is, they already clearly respect Yeah, like, respect they whatever.
0: genuinely become close friends. And and they march their army all the way up to the castle, and there's, like, a big final battle between Katan and Goro's side and Sha- Shao Kahn's side, led by Kano. And... It's kind of funny because I I think we talked about this last episode that Kano actually beats Katana in a fight. Yeah. But the main reason I think we won that fight is Katana was distracted, because over beside her, Goro was being stabbed to death by Noob Cybot.
1: <laughs> See, I kind of like how that never came up yeah. again. And I like to think that Goro never knew who hit him.
0: Well, it's Noob Cybot. You don't really see him coming. He's like, out of the shadows, knife in your back, and him am gone. <laughs> he is exactly. the most ninja of all the ninjas.
1: <laughs> it adds that much more to Noob's slash backstory. And it just kind of goes to show that it really is not necessarily about skill or strength or who will win in a fight. People die in fights in stupid, pointless ways. Although, if I'm remembering right, he hits him from the back. The attack score yeah it behind. was it
0: was explicitly a sneak attack i'm pretty sure it says but even so like i th- what i like is the fact that uh bihan low-key has like the best um score card in all of mortal Kombat, because like when he was sub-zero he was established to be like broke as fuck and like hey i just beat four gods Quan Chi and shinnok in the same day <laughs>
1: When we get to the Beyond episode, we're going to have a lot of fun listing yeah. his various accomplishments. Yeah, so he he does all that, and then he also gets to be the guy who kills Goro, too. God, I love Beyond so fucking much. It's not funny. <laughs> best character. Objectively best character. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Goro...
0: Goro dies. Well, the, the Deadly Alliance version is that he dies on the battlefield, and Katana is like, oh shit! And while she's distracted by that, uh, Kano sucker punches her, and her side has to go into retreat.
1: Noob Saibot and Kano win a war. Mother of fucking god. And, like, I just, I just love the idea that, like... The only reason
0: any of this happened is because Shao Kahn is currently going through, like, his depression phase. Like, he's in a slump. He just sits in his chair and goes, Just tell them I'm dead. I don't even want to today. Tell them I'm dead. (laughs) 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 Because if he actually showed Uh. up on the battlefield, it'd be like Sauron
1: at the beginning of Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Just people flying left and right. But still, he doesn't need to be there because... He's got a couple of sneaky bastards wielding knives doing yeah, the dirty I mean, work lucky for lucky him. him. Kano and Noob actually got this. <laughs> it's hilarious. All the times he has an army of Shokan backing him up, an army of centaurs backing him up, keeps going down, keeps failing. Right. Two sneaky bastards with knives, shurikens, and presumably in Noob's case, a scythe. <laughs> I'd like to think so. That's how I actually always envisioned it. I figured he was using his MK4 scythe to stab. I I would like to see him use the goddamn scythe because like that troll hammer
0: shit was so stupid. Like he's the Grim Reaper, give him a scythe. <laughs> but troll hammer, No, Oh, I'm all shut up, Ed. Just shut up. You go to go to sleep, old man. <laughs>
1: Rest your eyebrows. You're tired, eyebrows. <laughs> so he's given a full. Burial, yeah. Of like they honors. they go, they actually go in the they put him like, in a
0: casket. The Shokan uh, customs for like royal funerals, and it's
1: it's really Kutana nice. takes
0: his body actually. back to Kuatan to the royal palace, and he's put in like a was it a gold coffin?
1: It was a right, gold sarcophagus. So so they
0: they put they put him in a gold sarcophagus, and they lower him down into the lava, and that's apparently how Shokan
1: burials are. And that was the end of Goro in the original. Or at least timeline. it should have been. And that was the end of <laughs> Goro. God, it really should have been. But but then Deception came along. Deception comes along, and then Unchained came along. Well, it was so it was
0: the GameCube version of Deception. So the GameCube version of Deception added Goro and Shao Kahn to the roster, and then Unchained, which was the PlayStation Portable version, was that. Plus, uh, Katana, Jax, Frost, and Blaze. So anyway, GameCube Deception. Like, Vanilla Deception comes out, and it's fine. Everything is fine. I mean, there are some plot holes in Conquest mode. There's a Shujinko episode one day for that. But everything was fine. <laughs> and then the GameCube version comes oh out, and they God. just fuck it up! Because... <laughs> Shao Kahn is supposed to be dead, and they go, no, he's not. And they're like, so before Quan Chi and Shang Tsung came in the room and ganged him, he made a clone of himself and ran out of the room.
1: (laughs) This was the beginning of the end. That is their actual explanation. That is what they wrote. Using a powerful magical item retrieved long ago by my minions. Hey, look! Another amulet of whatever the fuck. The the magic wand of plot device. I created a clone of myself to draw my enemy's attention while I escaped into the wilds.
0: Like, apparently he he stripped naked and put his armor on the clone. Because it says in... What happens next is that... So Goro has been stabbed by Noob and he's bleeding out on the battlefield. And he's lying there and he's like, Shao Kahn came to me and I didn't recognize him at first because he wasn't wearing his armor. And he's like, hey, I'll save your life if you work for me again. And Goro, the Honorable Goro, chooses to betray his people
1: in this war because he's afraid to die. (laughs) Now, to be fair, he also says he will give the Shokan back their favorite status and banish the centaurs. But that still makes no fucking sense, because there's a peace treaty yeah. going on, and Goro should be trying to preserve that peace treaty. Fucking, it's just not. They just right. they just wanted Goro to be a bad guy again, so they fucking ruined his character. Wow. Now, I would just like to elaborate a little bit on the mental image you've just placed into my head. It says that Shao Kahn escapes into the wilds, and because you've said naked. Because you said naked, I now have the mental image of Shao Kahn, buck naked, running into the (laughs) living forest. With, like, his MK3 (laughs) laugh trailing behind him as he goes. I think
0: it was supposed to be that he was wearing his alternate costume. But his alternate costume looks just like his primary, but with pants on. (laughs) Like, how do you not recognize this? He's still wearing the skull helmet! It's slightly different on the sides. (laughs) There's different shoulder pads, but it's basically the exact same motif going on. Who is the seven-foot guy wearing a skull mask? That's not Khan, is it? I don't- I'm not sure.
1: Oh, it's Reiko. <laughs> what are you doing out here, buddy? <laughs> You're a bit taller than usual. Anyway,
0: so so Khan heals him, and apparently nobody notices this is going on because it's a big battle, even though Kitana was looking right over there and was totally, like, upset about it. <laughs>
1: Yes, kind of bright right. that. Right, right, we'll just, just forget just that for a moment. A so
0: so Khan heals Goro, and then what they do is they take one of the uh, generic Shokan soldiers who happens to have been mutilated in the face, so you can't recognize him, and they put Goro's clothes on him, which means Goro did strip naked, <laughs> and then they escape into the wild. So Kitana, what she thought was a dead Goro, was actually somebody else. And they gave, like, the royal burial to some other guy.
1: (laughs) God, it's dumb.
0: Meanwhile.
1: It's just really dumb.
0: Meanwhile, Shao Kahn and Goro are sitting in some camp, and they're like, Okay, we're gonna wait till things blow over, and then, Goro, you're gonna go back to your people, and you're gonna tell them they work for me again. And uh, they'll just be okay with this. And apparently they are! They're just okay with this! Because in Armageddon...
1: The show can are working for Khan! <laughs> I don't remember that specifically, but also because I... Again, because I try to banish most things about Armageddon from my mind. Did they show that yeah, in they, um, mode?
0: Well, Goro Goro is definitely shown uh, rallying troops and stuff, like, from a balcony in Khan's palace, when Taven runs okay. into him and all that shit. What... what They specifically... Um, it was in, I think, Molina's bio, when they finally released Bios online. She she explains all the stuff that's happened since she started posing as Katana in Deception, how they took Shao Kahn's palace, and the Adenians were holding it. And then all of a sudden, one day, uh, Shao Kahn, Goro, and Shang Tsung march up, and they're like, I want my fucking palace back. And Melina, who is still pretending to be Katana, immediately, like, like, stabs some of her guys, drops to one knee, and is like, welcome home, daddy. Because this is this is after Raiden has blown up Shang, and what happens when Shang dies is that his soul goes straight back to Shao Kahn instead of the afterlife because he sold his soul to Khan. And Khan goes to the flesh pits and sticks it in a meat and lets him steal some souls until he can grow
1: skin back. <laughs> it's a really roundabout way to have to restore the status quo, I tell you what. Not that it matters at all. It's just, it's so bad. Deception
0: was a mistake. <laughs> no, it wasn't, and you Gamecube deception Game was a, deception a, a, was horrible, a mistake. A horrible, horrible mistake.
1: Regular deception was fine. Everything was fine. <laughs> Which Armageddon did very little to rectify. Now, do we know how he died in the in the Armageddon fight? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he shows up as a corpse at all.
0: No, I don't remember seeing him, like, on the ground in that first cutscene of MK9. No. But, uh...
1: That's the history of MK1 through original timeline Armageddon Yeah, Goro.
0: Yeah, it, it was great, and then they just stumbled right before the finish line.
1: And I'd love to say that the current timeline has done him favors, but it really No, actually, like, much. MK9 is almost worse to me for Goro. Somehow I'm not surprised, but elaborate.
0: Okay, so let's start with the fact that... During the MK1 part, Goro literally does not show up in story mode until his fight with Liu Kang. Like, he's not there for the big speeches or, like, a banquet scene or anything. Like, he's just... Like, right before Liu fights Goro, Johnny Cage asks, what's a Goro? Nobody has told him who the title holder of the tournament is.
1: <laughs> now, actually, before we go further into this, um, we didn't really go over goro's deception look well do we want to talk about like costumes and stuff there's not a lot to talk about but i figure that this is worth talking about for one specific okay. reason and you know what that are we talking is. about the fact that he has four pectoral muscles
0: yes i like it why i would if i thought it was executed here's right. here's my thing about um, and i don't think it was. shokan anatomy if you're trying to, like, design a monster, like, realistically, the pectoral muscles are important to how the arms move. And here's the thing is, like, Goral doesn't have four tits. Like, he only has two nipples. Like, only the upper pecs have nipples on them. And that's, I don't I don't think a lot of people know this, but the amount of nipples on a mammal equates to, like, how many children they can have. Like, only animals that have litters have more than two nipples. And the Shokan don't have litters, so they wouldn't have four tits. Like, there's no reason to change Shiva's design, but having four muscles on the chest to move your arms does make sense.
1: I understand that it's anatomically correct, and I still think it looks like trash.
0: I mean, I have... I've drawn both Goro and Kentaro with four pecs, um... Do you think it looks better than in the game? Like, is it just, like, they're proportioned weird in Deception? Like, his he
1: has too much upper body? There is that. The proportions of it specifically bother me. That's partially because the MK Deception models are kind of... Well, the 3D era models are kind of bulky. They're, they're, they're bulky, but they're also, like...
0: I feel like when they made Goro and Kentaro's models, they just sort of took a human body... And they stuck half of another human body on it. Like, they didn't actually model the torso from scratch. Yeah, it just...
1: It looks kind of
0: worm-like. It's, yeah, it's... They're they are too... Like, from the neck to the waist, they're too long. They look stretched out.
1: Yeah. I might not mind the pectoral muscles much, if not for yeah. that fact. Well, he also had the four-pecs look
0: in Shaolin Monks. Do you think it was pulled off better there?
1: Yeah, I want to say yes, but I'm lying. At least not the render.
0: I mean, the, I tried to make it look a little... Like, I made the abs smaller to, like, make the torso more proportioned when I drew it. I feel like it's a thing that absolutely can work. You just have
1: to, like, be careful how it's you do it. It's a delicate balance. Like, I'm also looking at an MKX render right now as we speak, And it probably could benefit from a bit of pectoral definition. There's probably just a balance that they haven't really hit. Yeah.
0: Because I I, I just think, like, I I absolutely get where you're coming from, thinking that they looked weird in Deception and Armageddon. And I think that's just poor modeling. I don't think the idea is inherently bad.
1: Anyway, I just felt that that was a topic worthy of discussion, because we complain about it all the time. Whenever it's brought up, there's, there's consternation. I, yeah, I get that. But
0: yeah, so, like, going back to what I was saying about MK9, um, look, it's just it's just really insulting to see Shiva first. Especially because Shiva doesn't actually do anything in the MK1 part. There's no real reason why she's there. It was just, like, a really poorly thought-out use of
1: roster resources
0: to put her in that scene with Cyrax.
1: Now, one of the things that actually really bothered me about the MK uh, Nine depiction of MK One was that they really didn't do Goro any credit. Yeah, no, there's like,
0: like I always imagine,
1: and we see this in both
0: the comic book and in the movie, is that Shang hypes Goro up. Like even before you see him for the first time, Shang is always talking about the great champion who you'll have to face as your final challenge if you hope to win, and how
1: badass he is, and how nobody can beat him. But because MK9 is a reboot, it goes in with the assumption that the audience already knows who Goro is, and doesn't take the time to build the ritual and build yeah. him up. and like, so... Again, just like the fact that
0: Johnny hasn't even heard of the guy until it's already time for Lou for to fight him. And then after, um, after Goro is beaten, they don't have the island collapse, and they don't have Goro, um, fake his own death and go into hiding or anything like that. He just... Just walks back to Shao Kahn's palace and reports for duty like nothing's wrong. And from that point on in MK9, Goro is treated like he's written exactly the same way as Baraka is. He's just kind of a tall guy. There's the second insult is that there's a moment during MK2 where Liu Kang and Kung Lao are coming to rescue Katana and. Goro is there to stop them, and Kung Lao fights Goro. And this timeline especially is going with, like, the Shaolin Monks version of Kung Lao, who has always wanted to fight Goro and avenge his ancestor. But here the moment comes, and it's, it doesn't even come up. Like, Kung Lao doesn't act as though he's fighting Goro, he acts as if he's just fighting another guy. It means nothing.
1: Ah, uh, I too was expecting something to come of that, but nothing did. Honestly, it, it would have been best for everyone considering what happened afterwards if Grow had also killed him. If that's the angle that they wanted to take to end with, like, someone dying. Yeah, yeah. I, now that you mention it, that would have been a really good idea because Kung Lao dies
0: during that part of the game anyway. And, and, yeah. and the weird thing is, like, up to this point in MK9 story mode, Kung Lao has been established as the guy who's not as good, and is, like, trying real hard, but keeps getting beaten. So the moment that comes when he's finally like, it's you and me, Goro, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment, nobody's gonna stop me, and if you had, like, Lou in the background going, no, you're not ready, he's gonna ruin you, and then that actually happened? That would have been amazing! But, next
1: step from behind. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just wasted. Just wasted. MK-9 story mode. How do we hate thee? Let us count the ways. They are numerous, they are manifold, they are many. Dude, and like,
0: and like, Lu could have felt guilty about it too, because the only reason they were even there was to quote-unquote rescue his girlfriend.
1: No, sadly, MK-9 did Goro no big favors.
0: And then, because he, because he blames Raiden for Kung Lao's death anyway, he would have had just as much reason to, because, again, the only reason they went to rescue Katana was because Raiden wouldn't do it.
1: Fucking, I never even thought of that. That is such a missed opportunity. The Lust will be right back after Razor goes, loses his shit, and returns. (laughs) While we're here, I should also specify that I kind of really hate Goro's MK9 outfit.
0: Oh, oh, it is so bad. It is so,
1: and it's not just the outfit. As with many, many outfits. It's not just the
0: outfit, it's the model. His face looks like a cartoon
1: cat. See, he kind of looks closer to the way that I think that an ideal yes, Kentaro like, might look.
0: God, they. they fuck.
1: He lost the definition in like
0: his jawline. Yeah, like his his mouth is weird and puffy, which would make like his nose is too high up. Yeah, he has like the the pushed up nose, and he has yellow slitted eyes, and all three of those traits are what Kentaro is supposed to have. So you're absolutely right, like, that should have been Kentaro's face, But on Goro, yeah. it just looks weird and, like, wrong. And it's like, it's like an instinctual wrong. Like, you can't put together why it looks so bad without spending some time to think about it. It's just, like, you look at it and you feel it.
1: And the spiked, oh, God, the like, shoulder pads, the, the shin guard, and the Spider-Man loincloth. Ugh. <sighs> Everything about it is awful.
0: His mistakes were made, man. <laughs>
1: oh, Christ. What were they thinking? No, he's, I think he actually looks what, like one of the worst out of all the characters.
0: Yeah, it's, def- it's like such a needless design because Goro's usual look, like you can add detail to it and make it look fancier, but like the base concept, like I should be able to squint my eyes when looking at an MK9 character and see a blurry version of what they looked like in the old timeline. And you cannot do that with some of the characters. And those are the ones whose designs are bad. Like, Kitano with her belly sticking out, and the, like, baby blue powder blue. And Goro with the shoulder pad. Like, why is that there? It just, it makes him look like not
1: MK1. That's the only thing it does. I'm gonna say this right now. I don't feel like Goro should be using... Weapons or yeah, no, armor like,
0: of any kind. Like spiky kind. shoulder pads. Unless he's actually in spiky a war. Spiky shoulder pads is super Kintaro's thing. Like, he called dibs yep. on the spiky shoulder pads. That's a fucking shit. Yeah, trademark. you can't just put that shit on Goro like he hasn't stolen enough already.
1: <laughs> Swear to God, man. Every good thing that Catman gets, Goro takes it away from him. And, like, I just... I don't like the idea of Goro using weapons unless he's actually in a yeah. war. He shouldn't need to. He's a walking weapon. Like,
0: in theory, in theory, there's maybe, like, a cutscene animation that would look rad that, like, if Goro was surrounded with troops on a battlefield and he had, like, a sword in one hand, an axe in the other, a flail in one hand, and, you know, just each one is a different weapon and he's just swinging at everything. You could do a moment of that,
1: but not a gameplay element of that. And I don't mind, like, the Tigrar knives or or those little weapons. Yeah, no, like, that's the other thing. Like, they never give him a real weapon. They give him spiked gauntlet, which is the most, like... Because, you know, forearms, har-har. And I don't mind those, but they just... They never struck me as a Goro It's not a weapon. weapon. He's still punching. There's just a spike on his punch.
0: It's... Spiked gauntlets are the most, like, coward's way out of giving someone a weapon I can imagine. <laughs> because
1: you're not really committing to ha- animating them swinging a weapon. It's punching! I'll say this much for the MK9 design, although it might have been a thing prior to this. I do like that the belt buckle has the Shokan sigil I, on it. I like nice. it, but I would rather, Cute like... detail.
0: That like the the specific the Shokan logo where it's like a forearm stick figure man. I like that logo, but I would rather mm-hmm. that logo be on like an alternate costume. Like I prefer yeah. the. I don't want to say the yin yang because I like it better when they make it look slightly different from a yin yang. Like in um, in the movie, it doesn't have dots; it has red slashes. And in MKX, it's like he has he has a belt buckle that's round and has like a white shape wrapped with a black shape. But it's supposed to be like an angel and a demon wrestling each other or something like that. Like it's the concept of a yin yang, but it's not an actual yin yang. And it looks like fancy and artsy. I like that.
1: All right, that's fair. Must confess, I hadn't actually
0: noticed. Yeah, like there's a thing in MK9 where um, none of the show can wear a yin yang they all have the stick figure logo instead. And the only like the only times you ever see a yin yang associated with the Shokan in MK9 is um in Shiva's arcade ending they drew her with the yin yang belt buckle instead of the one she has in game. And in story mode there's a part at the beginning of the MK2 tournament where there's like this like before Jackson, Raiden and them walk in to start the tournament. There's some kind of weird ceremony where Goro is handing um a like a yin yang-shaped jewel, like a like an amulet sort of thing, to Shao Kahn, and Khan inspects it and hands it back. And it's like, I don't know what that scene means. Like if it's the Shokan giving the king their yearly tribute or something like that. Like it's just we have to pay our dues. Or if like maybe this is his apology for losing the tournament is to give Khan a gem. <laughs> Like, to buy him off? <laughs> Don't like it. Take it back. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, none of them actually wore the yin-yang in and 9, and I thought that was a weird choice, because they're sort of, they're so iconically associated with it in all the previous games. Like, the yin-yang is on the Shokan flag, like, in, in the MK4 ending, and in the Shokan Palace stage in Deadly Alliance and Deception. There are. there's a Shokan flag they design, and it's, like, green with a red stripe down the middle and the yin-yang in the center of the stripe.
1: I can think of actually no proper reason to dispose of it, but it is a Chinese symbol. Yeah, like, philosophical it is a symbol, symbol. that belongs I guess to they Earth, wanna... and
0: that's why I say I like it yeah. better when they make it look slightly not a yin-yang. But I still want, like, the So they should have, like, their own there.
1: variation on it. Maybe they just didn't want to step on anyone's toes in case of sensitivity. Oh, God, mm, who knows. That's weird. Because,
0: like, th- I don't see them changing the Edenia Kamidogu. <laughs> that's a yin-yang. Yeah.
1: <laughs> As it is. Ah, odd choice. What was Goro's fatality in uh, Oh, right? hell. Um. He's got one where he rips your head into four pieces, and he's got one where he just kind of takes your legs off and takes your arms off. And, and then he, like, Splits what's left of you down the middle. But I figured this is a good place to seg into MKX because he's probably got one of the best fatalities in that entire game. I mean... We're not going to forget the reaction we all had when we saw him for the first time. (laughs) He's pushing it in. He pushed it in. Just something none of us ever saw coming. And shove right... Inverting the neck. (laughs) He gives them an opposite neck. Then he just rips off a flap of skin to see that their face is still there and shoves them over. It's just It's messed it's up pretty but brutal. It's brutal, it speaks to the character's brute strength. And it's also I kind actually, of- fun.
0: I actually really like both of his fatalities. Cause the second one is he like he does the jump stomp, and then while he's standing on their back and they're like face down on the ground, he reaches down he grabs and grabs limbs. like Every arm and every leg with a different one of his hands, and then like pulls other arms and legs off. And I think I think that's a cool one because I think he had it in um he had one in Deception I'm pretty sure where he would like just pick them up with an arm and a leg in each hand and just pull and like draw and quarter them. And I like both of those ideas. That, that's sort of like the best example of what a fatality
1: would be for a four armed
0: guy is drawing quartering.
1: When they first introduced Shiva, I don't know if I was all that down with like the skin rip or like the floor pound. Yeah.
0: Well they've they have since like they keep reusing the floor pound for different characters. Jax has had it, Shao Kahn has had it. It's it's yeah. kind of very cartoony.
1: <laughs> they just
0: kinda of wanted to feature
1: her arms as windmill poly yeah, drivers, I, I guess. I, I don't know. What I
0: what I would like to see is a fatality that sort of uses the the like his standard grab, the lifting them up at the waist and then punching and I was about to say exactly yeah.
1: that. They don't make enough use of the fact that he should be pummeling someone into oblivion. Like, I think he should actually be punching someone around the abdomen and chest and head and neck until they're a, a bloody unrecognizable. Absolutely. What is <laughs> wrong with us as human
0: beings? This is what the series is about to a lot of people. We're,
1: we can't yeah, escape that I either, mean... you know? we Fatalities are kind of part of the appeal. We're not wrong, we're not sick, it's just this comes with the territory.
0: This is what Mortal Kombat is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's not about death, but life, remember that, folks.
0: I mean, it's kind of about both. It's about causing death to preserve life.
1: (laughs) Yin and yang. Absolutely, there you go. We could discuss the MKX comic briefly. Well, so, I mean, let's let's talk about the
0: game's use of Goro story-wise, like what his bio says before we get to the comic, because th- they do contradict each other.
1: I suppose so. So, so
0: according to the game, the Shokan chose to take no sides in the civil war between Kotal and Molina. As a result, when Kotal took the throne, he banished the Shokan.
1: Both angles which I actually quite understand.
0: My My thoughts on the matter, though, are like, so wait, you're telling me there was a big fight for control of Outworld, and Goro decided to stay out of it, he could have been a third faction if he wanted to.
1: That's key, if he wanted to. But, like I mentioned earlier, Like, like unless unless he got
0: beat up so many times in 9 that he's ashamed, and he's pulling the, like, Shao Kahn after 3, just tell them I'm dead, I'm gonna sit in my chair, I
1: don't feel like getting up today thing. (laughs) See, I don't consider the Shokan, or Goro by extension, to be by and large, a people who have conquest on the brain. Yeah, but they do like they do
0: romanticize battle. Like they're very much like they the do. Vikings or the Samurai. They do. Like I, I feel like I feel like it's actually probably like they have definitely mentioned that part of their code of honor is that like dying in battle is the right way to die. Like if you if you die in bed sick and old, you're probably going to hell according to the Shokan religion. But it doesn't mean that they have to be expansionists. Well no, but I just feel like refusing a fight doesn't make sense or like choosing to stay a neutral party. That's fair. I just wouldn't see them as being a third faction. The the comic definitely I think makes more sense. I mean it is it is a contradiction and it but it is one of the rare instances where I think Kittleson actually improved on something. Because they do pick a side and they're is, like, a reason for Kotal to be against them.
1: Well, anything is better than the footnote that they were in MKX. Right, right.
0: Goro really isn't part of a story. He doesn't show up in story mode. He's just... It's very similar to how MK4 used him, in that, like, in 4, he had nothing to do with Shinnok, but he was the sub-boss of the arcade ladder, just because he's Goro. MKX also went, This game needs a sub-boss... Here's Goro.
1: And yet they didn't use Ferator. Yeah, no, you would think, right? <laughs> when I first saw them, I figured that that was their entire purpose. I guess, I guess they're trying to break
0: the mold and have big guys who don't have to be the sub-boss, and that's what Ferator represents. Sa- same as, like, uh, Grundy and Gorilla Grodd
1: in the Injustice games. Which is nice, don't get me wrong, but... It has been a hell of a long time since we had, like, a big sub-boss as an original character. Yeah, they haven't haven't invented a new
0: sub-boss since Moloch, and that was 2002. Yeah.
1: We're overdue. Because
0: Deception had uh, the Noob Smoke tag team as the sub-boss, and Onaga, who was that game's big guy, was the main boss.
1: Yeah. That's one of the things that peripherally bugs me.
0: Yeah, it, it feels is, like something's missing. Weird. It feels like Deception doesn't have a sub boss.
1: I mean Noob Smoke was okay.
0: And it, it was, I guess, a creative idea. It just doesn't feel like a big fight.
1: Felt like an endurance round. Yeah. Ah, missed my big sub-bosses. <laughs> but yes, back to the MKX comic.
0: Right, so so MKX I think actually uses Goro in some really cool ways. So, like, the start of it is basically just the revelation that, you know, um, Reiko is sort of the one one behind Melina's side of the Civil War, the war machine for her. And he's making all the alliances, and he's maneuvering all the pieces. Because, let's be honest, Melina isn't really leadership material.
1: You think?
0: (laughs) Especially not this timeline's Melina, who's only, (laughs) like... Two years old when the
1: throne is stolen from her? (laughs) She, uh, didn't have a lot of leadership experience on the old resume. No, no,
0: she's like, she's like 12 in the comic book.
1: (laughs) I did like the fact that Reiko was her brains behind the throne. She needed that. Not to disparage Molina fans, but she's... Right, so, so Reiko is basically like
0: Tagoro... Work with us, and the show can get the sweetheart deal again. You know, this is, you know, what you had with Shao Kahn. This is good for you. In fact, it's even better because, like, Molina's a weak leader, so you'll probably have even more power under her than you had under Kahn.
1: <laughs> again, Killston saw a great potential character in Reiko, and they used him, and he used him to his fullest. Yeah. Can't love him enough for that.
0: He really, he really did a good job with Reiko. I'm not as happy with how he used Havoc, but I think the comic did Reiko very well. It's a fair trade-off. And I think the comic did the Shokan very well. Oh, yes. Because, because then you have Goro's big fight with Kotal Khan's father. And so Kotal has sent his father with these troops to go shut down Molina's forces. And he's given him Shao Kahn's hammer and and there is this great part in the fight where Goro is kicking Ketz's ass so bad that he's like give me that fucking hammer you're not worthy of this and just knocks his fucking head off with it <laughs> <laughs> and so this sets up like this really interesting Goro Kotal rivalry that I wish the games were able to do something with like I wish I wish you could go back in time and retroactively put Kotal in MK9 because I feel like there's a whole, like, world of rivalry between those two that we should be exploring. Because we also find out Goro was involved in the conquest of the osh realm. So, like, there is a history there.
1: The MK9 biofilm actually also does specify that he's been part of a few conquests. So. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and, it, like, it, it totally, it makes sense. Like, this, like, this is what Goro does. He... He wins MK tournaments, he helps Shao Kahn conquer realms. And I just like the idea of these two specifically together as as rivals to each other. Because
1: it's not like anything's ever going to happen with the centaurs. Yeah, and they're they're very
0: similar characters. Like, Kotal also has this sense of honor thing. Like, he understands where Goro's people are coming from, I think. They're very similar cultures. Because when Koto comes to avenge his father and fights Goro, he does that really, really sick thing where after he cuts off all four of Goro's arms, Goro's like, finish it, you got me, kill me. You know, give me the honorable warrior's death. And Koto's like, no, that's what you want, buddy. I know how this works. Fuck you. (laughs) You have to live with this shame.
1: You're a cripple from now on. That's so much worse for you. (laughs) There is only one Kotal Khan, and that's the one that Sean wrote. Absolutely.
0: And and so, like, Goro goes home without his arms, and the people are totally, like... Like, he's expecting to be thrown out of the kingdom by his own father because he's now, like... Like, being a cripple is inherently dishonorable. You can't fight anymore. You're useless yeah. as a person. And and But King
1: Gorbach is just like, no, man, you're my son. I still love you. Which also kind of works for me. Yeah. That kind and... of conflict isn't unusual in fiction. Fuck yeah. the rules, your family. And and he's like, what Kotal has done
0: to you is an insult to us all. We're going to war. And then after Kotal kills King Gorbach, then the Shokan people are like, Well Goro's not fit to lead. You're you're out of the line, man. We're giving the throne to Shiva. <laughs> My cousin wasn't even in the running. She's like a third branch of the family tree.
1: (laughs) And He's like, well, there's nobody else. It's not going to be you. Meanwhile, Kentaro's like, well, um, I'm over here. Shut up, freak. (laughs) Goddamn underclass. Know your place. We're not going to give the throne to a goddamn stripey. (laughs) Razor, that's offensive. Stop that. That's that's what
0: I'm talking about. Fictional racism. You can't use that word. That's our word.
1: (laughs) I wasn't gonna say it, but thank you. No, um. (laughs) Okay, I've had too much wine. I'm having too much fun with this. So we've established that Sean does a better job of writing girl than girl has been written since 2002. Pretty much. And then there is. How did that end? Like one.
0: Well, there's the one bummer about it, is that, like, so after Goro is basically kicked out of the kingdom in shame and the throne is given to Shiva, because he's a cripple, he goes out and he seeks out the Red Dragon Clan, because apparently in um, Kittleson's continuity, Dagon has allied with uh, Onaga, and apparently Onaga has the knowledge of, like, regenerating limbs and can figure out how to grow back Goro's arms. And this is a cliffhanger the comic ends on, and the comic was cancelled after that, so we never really got to the point where Goro has his arms in MKX.
1: I'm prepared to let it slide. I don't consider the MK comic to be real canon for the most part, but it sure did Goro a hell of a show, and more of a service than he got in the game. I mean, I kind of, like, there are some things from the comic... There are things about it I desperately wish were canon, and others that are best left forgotten.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the thing about it is that like now that Kittleson actually works for NRS, I'm I have hoping, a lot of like hope, that that actually. Goro Red Dragon gang Onaga connection is something that we see more of.
1: Into MKX now, and the first thing that comes when I think of Goro in MKX is. Yeah. Just how much. They paid attention to how much of a mark the movie had on the character. Yes. And they definitely, like, I think
0: a lot of it was... Like, there are elements in X that feel like an unspoken apology for mistakes in 9. Oh, completely. Like, Sub-Zero's character design is a big example. Like, they didn't just walk back the cyborg thing. He's literally Deadly Alliance Sub-Zero, the f- most popular version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that goes for Goro too. Like the cat face with the yellow eyes is gone. He's he looks like movie Goro. He looks like the puppet from 1995, but with like red and black eyes.
1: And just specifying here, it is possible to give Goro more than like a loincloth, and have him look good.
0: Yes, like he's got this um patchwork war skirt leather armor thing, that basically doesn't cover any more
1: skin than his uh, black sumo diaper thing ever did. But this looks like something that I can actually see him wearing either into battle, into a fight. Yeah, so like, it's like I said, you can design an outfit
0: that looks more detailed and realistic and interesting, but still have that effect where if you squint and blur your vision, it looks like the
1: classic version of the character. So, yeah, hats off all around. Absolutely. He looks wonderful, and I really love the tooth necklace.
0: I, I love that necklace, too. And I love I love that he, like, comes in with, like, a little cape hanging from it that he
1: takes off in his intro. Ah, uh, yes. See, he shouldn't ever fight with the cape on, but I like that they introduce him yeah. with it on.
0: It's yeah, because, like, that is, that is, like, a thing he's had before. Like, in the movie, he wore the cape in some scenes... In, even in the MK1 comic, like, when he's, um, when Shang Tsung is giving the, uh, the welcome speech. to the tournament speech, Goro is standing next to him,
1: wearing a big red cape. Matter of fact, you know what, when I get that Storm Collectibles figure that's coming out in, uh, next month, I think I might him a cape. <laughs> nice. So, stop by Fabricville. Anyway. Yeah, so, like, definitely,
0: definitely the MKX look is a much better um, reimagining of, like, classic MK1-ish Goro than what happened in 9. Yeah. There's an interesting subtle thing where, like, he's got face paint. Like, he's got war paint of, like, a skull over half of his face.
1: And it's sort of faded and you can't always see it, but I kind of like that, too. It works. Yeah. It's good. When I first saw it, I thought it was just, like, the fact that the skin was stretched taut over his face to make him look a bit skeletal and more imposing, but it is war paint. And
0: yeah, uh, yeah, like you can see it better in the concept art because it's yeah. wider. Um, the another thing I really love is um his win pose in X, where he just like smears a handprint of blood across his chest, as though the blood is also war paint, tribal and
1: dirty and warlike.
0: Yes, no, it, it it's, it's so wonderful. like It gets the character. And yeah. those are the things that I really look
1: for. There are so many reasons why I wish he was part of MKX in a more involved fashion. And his look, and the voice that they gave him.
0: Yeah, they nailed it in a lot of ways, and then he's just not in story mode. It's a bummer. Ugh.
1: Oh well. Did this bio say anything interesting about him?
0: Not really. Um... Let me think, if...
1: No, not really. I can't remember what his um, arcade ending is. I'm looking that up. The Shokan had become outcasts for refusing to aid at the side in the civil war. But with the conflict over, Prince Goro decided to re enter the political landscape. Kotal Khan's armies were weak from years of battle. Molina's rebels were scattered. It was an easy matter for the Shokan to seize control. The newly crowned Emperor Goro had his rivals exterminated. No Ashtek, Khitan, Edenian, or Tarkhatan would usurp his throne. So there you go, that's his arcade ending. Yeah. He becomes, like he wanted, the third... Yeah, but I feel like, I feel like
0: to say it after the fact as an ending, it just becomes a, a generic ending like the What If Shao Kahn ones from the old game. I never saw them as usurpers or conquerors, but... Yeah, no, I just, I think it would have been more interesting if they were involved in some way in the Civil War as it was actually happening. Like in the comic.
1: Best we can get, I guess, for the time. Oh well. Complaints about move theft from Kentaro and Shiva aside and lack of presence in the story mode. Goro was one of the things I was most looking forward to in MKX. And it was still fun playing as him.
0: Yeah, they definitely made his gameplay look like it would be interesting. Like, hyping up the concept of the punch walk as, like, a marketing thing and all that.
1: Hashtag PunchWalk.
0: I used it. I think there's a slight problem gameplay-wise with MKX Goro where people feel like he's much lower tier than he should be.
1: It is a hard thing to balance a character like that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what fighting game franchise you're in. If a character is a bulky powerhouse, he's very often either OP or utterly, utterly useless. Yeah, because
0: like... In the process of making sure he's not OP, you end up nerfing,
1: like, too much? Like, you don't want it to be the point where he's like Potemkin, where he's so slow, but he hits you twice and the round is over. Yeah. That's not fun for anyone. Now, he still plays more like I would always imagine Kintaro would play, but I feel like your ideal Goro would be actually surprisingly agile, MK4-style have a series of grapple maneuvers. You wouldn't want to get anywhere near him, but it'd be hard to keep him away.
0: You know what I think it is? Is, um, it's like a body proportion thing? Like, um, Mm -hmm. in MK1 and the 3D era, uh, they had the really long torso, and then it made their legs look tiny, or, like, maybe they just really did have too short of legs. And a character that has is like, all torso and tiny legs is gonna look weird throwing, like, a roundhouse kick. Whereas what made MK4 Goro unique is that he's, like, all leg. Like, and he's throwing the high kicks and it looks perfectly normal. The model itself looks weird, but he looks good in the game, so it yeah. balances out. Yeah, I mean, compared to everybody else, it's, you know, the graphics of MK4 dated as they are. But he didn't look any weirder than any other no. character in-game.
1: So I guess that's the story of Goro in the main games.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is, there is I guess, Shaolin Monk's... Its use of Goro was um somewhere between how the old timeline and Nine used him. Where, like, they were acknowledging the idea that he went into hiding after MK1... But at the same time, like they're finding him during MK2, and then they're killing him in a fight.
1: <laughs> so even when they're doing something interesting, they're fucking it up. Yeah. It,
0: the, it was kind of funny though, where after you beat him and go for the fatality input, your character doesn't do the fatality. Johnny Cage walks in from off-screen, puts up his yeah. hand to stop you, yep. and Shadow <laughs> kicks through his stomach.
1: <laughs> and then just walks back off. <laughs> oh god, I forgot about that. Oh, uh, that was wonderful. That might be the earliest nod to the movie rivalry right
0: there. Yeah. Well no, there was there was like a poster that came out with MK4 that advertised that? Uh, Goro being in the home versions. It was a oh, picture of Goro right. standing on a cliff. And he had Johnny like Cage's Johnny severed, severed head line up in yes. there. Yeah.
1: Ah. <laughs> uh. So now that we've covered all the games, it's time to move into extraneous source material. Goro is in a surprising amount of it for a very expensive
0: special effect.
1: <laughs> he is, and I credit that with um basically him being around more or less at the time when there was a lot of it. yeah like we weren't we weren't doomed to like the odd web series here or there, and that's about it, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. It was, it was like, fresh and becoming a thing, as opposed to now, where people only use it when they want to, like, capitalize on nostalgia.
1: Or create tie-in products.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, chronologically, I guess the first thing would be... Is it the Roven novel
1: or the Malibu comics? It's the Malibu comics first, I think. Okay. Although, we could cover the Jeff Rovan novel very, very briefly because it is worth mentioning that that was one of the first things that I think gave him that sense of honor that he became known for having, actually.
0: I suppose, because, I mean, all of the characters were very um, steeped in. Like, Rovan was attempting to make something feel authentically Chinese folklore. Yes. So, like, when he was getting into, like, the Outworld characters, and he was depicting them as, like, mythological demons, I guess, like, in, in Eastern culture, demons are rarely stupid brutes.
1: He did come across as very much a henchman, but he was a henchman that, you know, fought honorably and well, and if I'm remembering right, he treated Kung Lao with respect during the fight. Yeah. Before he ripped out his heart. Not too much else to say about him, really. Like, that's his major part in the novel. He's around during uh, the big fight and whatnot, but... Yeah, he's not in it a lot, and we, He he doesn't have a pivotal role. All the interesting things that we
0: could say about the novel in general, we already did in our review of the novel, Yeah. So So I guess that brings us to the Malibu comic. And there is quite a bit to say about Goro the Prince of Pain
1: in the Malibu comic. I just want to say one thing about the Prince of Pain. (laughs) as a title for a character it's fucking awesome all right you can take your immortal champion of mortal combat or your chinese ninja warrior or your feared emperor of outworld as a tagline i do actually think prince of pain is pretty good (laughs) do you know what i'd give to be called the prince of pain every day as i went (laughs) into work
0: i especially remember it because like Malibu pushed it so hard that, like, you would see it used outside of stuff talking about Malibu. Like, an EGM magazine would just be doing an article about Mortal Kombat, and they'd call Goro the Prince of Pain.
1: (laughs) It's a great tagline. Bring it back. Hashtag Prince of Pain.
0: It it became how he was known. Like, you know, Kane is the big red machine. (laughs) Stone Cold Steve Austin is the Texas
1: Rattlesnake. Big red machines don't got nothing on the Prince of Pain. It's... I just want to keep on saying it. Prince of Pain. The alliteration <laughs> is rewarding. <laughs> so aside from referring to himself in the third person, like every single person in the comic does. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was very... Poorly... It was, I, I imagine
1: it was trying to be Chris Claremont's writing style and just way overdoing it. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if there wasn't like an edict from uh, Midway or whatever. Yeah, ma- make sure the they effort. always say Yeah, their exactly. Game. The kids need to know who the characters are. So they can go and buy the action figure. Exactly. Damn straight. Gotta keep pushing the product. He's basically himself for most of it and very ruthless and whatnot. And, and he is like, he's, he's definitely like, they emphasize his intelligence there too, because isn't yeah. he one of the people
0: who um, solves one of the riddles in Shang's magic book, the Kao
1: Te Zon or whatever it was. I think he is actually the one that solves the last one. <laughs> it was either him or some. Sub- I don't know. It was, it was either him or Sub-Zero. Mm. One of the two of them.
0: Well, no, I, I definitely remember that Sub-Zero wins the tournament. Yeah. Because, because they Morrow. were rushing to get to the end. So they wrote that Shang decided, you know what? We'll settle this by a race up the mountain. The first person to get this pendant wins Mortal Kombat. And Sub-Zero won while he was on fire,
1: dying, because Scorpion got yep. to him. We'll save that for the Beyond Retrospective, because that's just one more example of badassness. Yeah. But that was actually the end of MK2. Partway through the Malibu run, they specify that Liu Kang beat Goro in one Shang's tournament, and they never showed it depicted. <laughs> first tournament ends The whole thing screen. happened off screen. Yeah, all of it. Like the fourth letter blog said, fuck the game story, we gotta show off the fucking combatant. <laughs> which brings us to the prince of pain this, miniseries this this like, riddle
0: book is very important
1: <laughs> it, clearly so the first series was like called blood and thunder if i recall and yeah, towards definitely. the end of it he just he disappears he disappears after all the riddle shit yeah he is um he is abducted
0: by zagat the god of chaos yes And we have talked about Zaggot before, but just in case you've missed it, Zagat is Gandalf with the Joker's color scheme, (laughs) and really, really prominent gums. Character design, and he hangs
1: out with like a talking crow or raven. I think it's a raven named Rook who has (laughs) green laser vision. But Rook's actually a part of him. Like, they merge and, like, form his true form at the end. Like, oh, it looks like an like avatar part or two something. <laughs> yeah, pretty well. So, Goro gets teleported to Zagat because Zagat sees him as a potential weapon of chaos that he can use in his ongoing war and feud with Abacus, the god of order. I love the n- that he's named Abacus. It's perfect, actually. <laughs> I'm not so much a fan of his design because it's just a guy in a
0: black spandex bodysuit. Like, there's yeah. no detail to him at all. He's very well groomed, apart from like yeah, as like he, to he also has long hair and a beard, like long white hair, just like yeah. uh, Zaggot has long green hair and a beard, except
1: he keeps <laughs> it in a ponytail. So, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing particularly creative about his design, but. He was all well groomed to represent order and like neatness and the first time you see him he's playing chess. I just I feel like I feel like you can get
0: across the concept of neatness and order, but also have the guy wearing more clothes than just like <laughs> a black leotard. <laughs> oh yeah. His base
1: design left a lot to be desired. Like he could have been like modern, like in a that would have been cool. So basically, uh Goro tells Zagat to go and F himself. And Zagat responds to this by creating the combatant. Which, I don't know if our listeners have maybe heard where we've discussed this in, in uh, prior episodes. But the combatant is like something a 10-year-old kid would have whipped up. Yeah, he has, he has like one limb from
0: every character from MK1 or something like that. And he's a cyclops.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's got like a giant metal head with one glowing red eye. Presumably this is the Kano part because all the arms were taken. <laughs> yeah. He does shoot a laser out of the eye, I'm pretty sure. So he does. that makes sense. <laughs> and that pretty it's MK3. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I mean everybody always thought he should be shooting a laser out of his eye and that's why it was they logical. Put it in MK3.
1: Yeah. So yeah. he's wearing like one of every character's armbands or like arm guards or whatever and it's just it's 10 kinds of stupid that aside, it's just Goro from the neck down. It's terrible. So, the combatant beats the crap out of Goro somehow, <laughs> and then Goro winds up like being saved, I think, by Abacus, the god of order, who then gives Goro a weapon to take down Zagat with. And what is this weapon? <laughs> it's the most nineties cable penis envy gun you will ever see. It's it's, it's a it's a giant. These
0: 90s guns never even looked like guns. People call Cable's guns toasters for a reason.
1: (laughs) It's a cannon gun with four handholds, and the thing is the size of Goro's chest. If you imagine like a
0: bazooka, like a rocket launcher, but with a pistol handle, and it's square instead of round, and it shoots lasers instead of missiles. (laughs)
1: Like, if you just Google Goro Prince of Pain... On an image search, it's the first image down in the third row. (laughs) And the dialogue is, That's what I thought too, Zagat, that Goro would make a most unfitting agent for the God of Order. But Abacus has a theory, one that Goro plans to put to a test. So, let's get crazy! (laughs)
0: It's Uh, wonderful.
1: It's absolutely wonderful. There's not too much else to say about uh, the Prince of Pain series. Like, that was the most important part. I I can think of a thing to say. The fuck even! (laughs) He beats Zagat by not fighting him because fighting creates chaos. So, (laughs) Zagat winds up, like, clawing and scratching at him. And it has no effect because Gro doesn't want to fight. And as a consequence, Zagat shrinks and shrinks and Gro eats him. And then he gets teleported back to Outworld, I guess. And that's where the series kind of ends. And then, like, Abacus and Zagat are just kind of feuding over, you know, oh, fine, Abacus was right this time through. And We do follow Goro from there. He pops up here and there. At one point, he ambushes Jax and hits him with a barbell in his gym. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't he, like, drop it across his neck or something? Like He cracks him in the back of the head with it, if I'm remembering right. This is during the period where like they're provoking everyone to get them to come back to Outworld. I think, right, right. This is their this is Jax's
0: invitation to the second tournament.
1: Yep. <laughs> Just clock him. <laughs> you want payback? Come and get me. Oh my god, it's wonderful. There is also a little uh, one-shot solo story of his in one of the later issues where they actually have him fight Kintaro. I do remember that. I don't remember why they were fighting, but I do remember drawings
0: of them fighting. (laughs) Bad drawings. This one was particularly terrible. We can't emphasize enough how 90s the book was. It's clearly somebody trying to be Rob Liefeld, which is... Rob Liefeld
1: imitation. And then worse than that. (laughs) There are a few select issues where the art's pretty decent, but you notice things like people copy-pasting the same panel over and over. and Everybody is just
0: so, like, angular, and, like, the shading is very lazy-hatching, like the lines are too far apart. Yeah. And you can, like, this is the same art that's in one of the, uh, like, the MK3 Collectors Edition guide, which is not a strategy guide, it's just a bunch of interviews with Ed and John about each character in MK3.
1: That was a nice opportunity, though, for me at least, actually see what the characters would have looked like if these series had continued and art was Because it wasn't all terrible, just mostly terrible. Well, the the funny thing is, like, the art is almost
0: all by the Malibu guys, except, I think, Cyrax. I'm going to have to go and look this up again. Oh, my God. It might not have been Cyrax, but there's, like, one character who's, like, their page that would normally have been the Malibu
1: art was john tobias art from the game <laughs> so yeah kintaro attacks goro because he's pissy that goro lost and he's a disgrace and this and that and they have a good fight and they do end it with goro winning which i do tend to approve of despite all my love for kintaro just because you know someone is stronger and more agile quote doesn't mean that they should be winning every single fight i i suppose i don't know
0: i feel like you gotta push the more important quote unquote character which is obviously goro but I yes. I wish there was, like, a
1: definitive proof that Kentaro is physically stronger. I mean, for me, it's right there in the bio. Stronger and more agile than his predecessor. But that doesn't mean he's going to take him in a fight.
0: I suppose. Goro does have that. <laughs> he is Shang Tsung's pupil.
1: He learned the punch-from-a-distance spell. <clears throat> Hashtag punch-walk. <laughs> Something that Kentaro should be doing, but no. Anyway... Do we have anything else to say about Malibu apart from the fact that Goro winds up being beaten by Bihan, which is awesome? <laughs> I mean he was beaten at a race,
0: not a fight, but still. <laughs> the guy can jump the mountain.
1: Like what? Well, he's like holding himself back. No, like Goro catches up to him at the very end, and Sub Zero actually does beat him in a fight. Oh, was it really down to the two yeah. of them? I forgot. It was that. down to the two of them. No, like the very last like he's Scorpion is the last thing that comes against him. Yeah. And Bihon turns his back and he's like, you know, I beat you in a fight, and you know, you're still after this. I'm gonna just turn my back and walk away, and if you kill me, you're a coward, and then you no, know, that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. He dies on fire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, these people, they think everything's fine, everything's good. They wake up the they next win morning tournaments they're and they're on fight. fire. <laughs> Giajo <laughs> so i guess that'll take us to the movie yeah and And, um, what a movie it was
0: the movie we have talked uh often about how good the movie is and how influential it's been on the
1: characters and i think goro is no exception we say this unironically i see a lot of people out there like who are actually down on the on the movie and i don't like that I get upset when I see people talking like, "Yeah, it was good for its time," or "It was good for a video
0: game movie." Or, it's cheesy, but like, no, I actually really, really, genuinely like the 1995 MK film. So do I. It's not Academy
1: Award material or anything. No, but like, the Academy Awards go to movies that are boring. They are. I don't care well, this about this. Is the- a fun fucking movie. <laughs> <clears throat> I no, I unironically like it. I don't think it deserves to be shat on. And sometimes I wonder if people are just remembering MK Annihilation the way they describe it. Seems like it sometimes. So Goro, brought to us by the Jim Henson Studio, if I'm not mistaken.
0: hmm
1: uh, most, most good
0: animatronics are Henson's mm-hmm. company. I mean, I think a lot of the credit for how I picture Goro in my head has to go to um, Kevin Michael Richardson for The Voice in the He never movie. came back for that, though, sadly. Yeah, that's that's what bothered me. Like, Kevin Michael Richardson does cartoons and video games. There's no reason NRS should not be getting him for the game.
1: Are you listening, NRS? I know you're listening. Give our boy a call.
0: Do it.
1: You know you want to. The voice was flawless for him. It set the stage, for I think, for all the voice actors who did later on come. Goro in MK4 did sound a little like he did in the movie. Not exact match. But you could tell that they had left their mark.
0: I mean, most things, it's a guy growling and they put a filter on it. Like, MK didn't really stand out as a, as a voice. It was just a generic monster voice. Mm-hmm. MKX is definitely more like the movie. Yeah. It's, it's got a little touch of that, How lucky
1: for them! Back, back home. home. <laughs> <laughs> MKX and Movie Girl are forever intertwined in my mind. I was so, so happy mm-hmm. when I first saw him. But I've gushed about that enough we'll already say here. say,
0: something like Underground.
1: <laughs> something like
0: that. <laughs> you know, I'm so Underworld boss myself.
1: <laughs> Back home. Back home. <laughs> the only thing about Animatronic Girl that bugs me a little bit is is that sometimes he does come off as a little stiff. Nothing's perfect. I see that these days. When the movie first came out, I was blind to it. I was too hypnotized by all of the awesomeness on screen.
0: The disappointing thing for me about, like, sort of the limited capability of the puppet yeah. is that the original script had his fight with Johnny Cage much longer. Like, originally, before Johnny led him to the cliff and knocked him off, he was going to lead him, like, through the statues of the warrior shrine, hiding behind them and waiting for him, and then, like, gradually, like, breaking his hands with a chain. So he'd take out, like, arm by arm, slowly whittling
1: him down. That was in the novel, too. Yeah. And a brief point I'll make about the novel is that it also makes a point of bringing about Goro's sense of honor.
0: Yeah, there is, there is specifically a moment in the novelization and I'm be- betting it was in the original script too and they just cut it for time where once once Johnny does knock him off the cliff and he's hanging there instead of going straight to this is where you fall down um, Johnny actually offers him a hand up and Goro is like what so I can die wounded in a cave of shame no I would rather die a warrior's mm-hmm. death and chooses to
1: let go and fall While this is where you fall down as memorable, I think that might have been a lot better to see. There's that, and there's one other moment. When he's fighting Art, and he just trounces him, at the very, very end, before he delivers the final blow, he lifts him up, and he says, sadly, the novel makes a point of saying that he says to sadly, you fought well. It's just such a nice little moment. Yeah. The fact that he actually shows respect for his defeated opponents... Little touches like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I definitely, I feel like... The movie is kind of the only
0: time we get to see um, Goro characterized as like... One of the reasons Liu Kang beats him is because... A guy who's been undefeated for 500 years is gonna get cocky. And I don't think we see that actually come out in his character anywhere other than the movie... The banquet scene with Kano, Shang walks in and he's like, you need to look out for this Liu Kang character, and Goro's like, I don't care about this monk. Doesn't care about katana. Like, yeah, yeah. He's
1: expecting to win everything. And, and Shang is just like, now is not the time for foolish pride. <laughs> and he's absolutely right. Yeah. So, why do you think he was wandering around the caves just yelling? <laughs> I feel like there's a mirror in there we couldn't see, and he was posing in front of it. <laughs> that always did bug me a little bit like what's he doing back there <laughs> well did he drop a as, contest as we once? know from
0: the games the Shokan do have this habit of just stopping to pose
1: and roar for no reason <laughs> <laughs> fair enough just picturing the mk1 sprite back there brah
0: i would like to imagine a time when shao khan is like why do you keep letting them hit you and they're like i learned it from
1: you dad <laughs> I don't know why you're <laughs> talking about. Uh, uh, further things to say about Goro in the movie. I kind of feel like that moment where like he beats 21 guys to Buckethead music was just kind of put there to set a bit of a scene or because of, I don't know. <laughs> Well, time constraints. The reason I believe that's you have to show that there were other people in the tournament that got beaten. I think I think it does that, but I think more importantly,
0: the thing about making a movie and like three act structure is like in the second act, it's supposed to be the part where like things start getting bad for the heroes, so you start feeling like they're the underdog and rooting for them towards the climax. But the plot of MK1 is because it's a tournament, which means there's a bracket, the good guys have to win all their fights to stay in the story. You have to create a part where the bad guys get to win against something. And so their version of that was to have Goro mow through a whole bunch of NPCs.
1: (laughs) And Art Lean.
0: Yes, and Art.
1: Because that's Art Lean's role in a nutshell, and you can't have more than one Art. I
0: I always felt like the smarter way to do it would have been to, because it is a tournament bracket, have the heroes start to have to fight each other. Like, as they get towards the end, you know, you go from, like, eight matches to four matches to two matches. They have to eliminate each other for there to be one last man
1: standing. I can just picture it now. Liu Kang beats Johnny to get Tagoro. Finish him! Shut up, <laughs> yeah. turns around, walks over. I said to... Ugh.
0: Every time with this guy.
1: <laughs> Most I've gotten out of him as a cartwheel uppercut. <laughs> a postscript, Fate of the Girl animatronic model. Time was not kind to it.
0: It it usually isn't to animatronics no. and um, monster suits in general because of like the materials involved, like the latex and stuff. As a Power Rangers fan... I know that, like, when um, Japan sends the monster suits to America so that they can film their own footage, um, usually what ends up happening if the, is if the suit is, like, more than a year old, it's,
1: it's starting to fall apart. <laughs> now, from all indications, I can see the Goro puppet seems to be intact. A lot of pictures of it still out there. Yeah. Which makes me happy.
0: I'm surprised that there's as much of it as there is, considering, like, all the difficulty they had filming that fight against Johnny, specifically because, like, it couldn't handle, like, the rough terrain and stepping in puddles and things like that. It was starting to get damaged, I think.
1: I mean, probably not all of it held up, but um, I do seem to be seeing some recent-ish pictures of it. One, one thing I want to mention that I really enjoy is... Um... Do you know if the model had three toes? <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It's on yourprops.com. Yeah, they
0: they made they made some slight um artistic license choices. <laughs> for for example, the human eyes
1: with the white sclera. <laughs> Actually, I really liked Goro's eyes in the film. They were all they right. Were creepy. I, they, they're kind of little creepy. evil pupils.
0: I feel I feel like the glassy red black is a little more fitting.
1: It's more classic yeah but I don't feel like the, the white sclera is wrong. It works. It makes him look intimidating and imposing. Yeah. Uh but yeah one
0: one thing I I enjoy is that in the movie credits um Goro is credited at playing himself. <laughs> yes. And they film like they film some behind the scenes footage where the director is like talking about Goro as if he's not a puppet, he's a real actor and he's like Hard to
1: work with. <laughs> okay, the head of the model is on display in NetherRealm Studios. Ah, that's neat. Son of a bitch. Lucky them. Ah, okay. TRMK Patrick McCarron. One of his friends saw Goro's head up for auction at a prop store, and McCarron told the guys at NRS. Huh. And they bought it for about one thousand eight hundred dollars. And that's where it lies to this day. Well, kudos.
0: All's well that ends well. So Goro falls off a cliff and dies in the movie, and that spares him from appearing in Annihilation.
1: (laughs) Yes, that fate befell his um, unfortunate cousin Shiva. Mm. She got a very, very good showing, she did. (laughs) The date's over. (sighs) It sure was. Can't wait for that Shiva retrospective. (laughs) Holy God. To not use a character, mm. but you know, that was that was probably because they first off, Shiva looked like crap. Okay, it was bad CG, really bad, yeah. CG. and bad CG in a fight. Yeah, that wasn't gonna happen. They did not have the time, budget, or technique to make that. I look mean, good. Shiva is in a weird
0: way harder to do than Goro. In the mid-90s, because because she's shorter, it means you're going to cast a real actress instead of a full-body puppet. Probably. Which means you have to figure out how to animate two arms instead of uh, a whole body. Which is I
1: think it more been
0: complicated, dumb. sort of. Because it has to look like it's part of
1: the actor wearing it. They could have made do. I could have seen a lot of, like, sideways double punches like a punch walk well i mean that that
0: that point in the 90s was like you know after um after spawn and shit like that was where uh movie studios were going hey cgi is becoming a thing let's use it because we can and because it's like the hot new shit so like you had
1: them going Hey, we don't have to make a Motaro puppet, we'll make CGI Motaro, etc. God, you know, I'm looking at Shiva right now and she looks even worse in a still than she does in motion. (laughs) Like, you can really, really tell two of the arms are entirely CG. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an actress and two of the arms are CG. Christ, this looks like shit. Oh my god. Kid Me's
0: memories of it are more convincing by far than it really is.
1: Christ, people, you think Annihilation looks bad in motion? Look at it still. Mm. Holy mm. god. But uh, but Goro wasn't in that.
0: Thankfully. Goro technically isn't in the Conquest TV show either. I think that they mention him. Oh, yeah, So there's there's a thing they do. Where the great Kung Lao is occasionally having nightmares of how he's going to die. So we get these mm. weird partial glimpses and flashes of Goro. Which is funny because at the end of the series, he dies by the hands of someone who is not Goro at all.
1: Look, it was nice that they had plans.
0: Yeah, they, they had plans. And then there wasn't a second season, so those plans didn't happen. But they, they knew what they were supposed to be doing with the lore. They knew who was supposed to kill Great Kung Lao. <laughs> you know, they
1: tried. They really did.
0: And I appreciate it. I mean, there is there is an occasional CG shot of, like, whenever they transition to the Cobalt Mines for a Shang Tsung scene, they will sometimes show, like, a, a Shokan standing on a pillar, yelling at slaves to mine the Cobalt or something like that.
1: I seem to recall seeing that particular shot used in every other episode. Yeah. Like, whenever they're about to show Shang Tsung sitting on a rock... It's like, he's only actually in the Cobalt Mines for,
0: like, two-thirds of the show. Like, towards the end, he just stops going there, and Shao Kahn is like, fucking Shang, now I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> and that's that's when Shang starts hanging out with the fucking Kriya people and like
1: that. <laughs> that was the point of the show where i was like i was starting to go wait what
0: yeah that was it's who, clear who? that like the history of great kung lao is not enough to make a tv series <laughs> you have to make up all kinds of shit like hey what if
1: scorpion was there and what if the black dragon gang was there <laughs> i did appreciate that they tried to make scorpions relevant to the guy's origin yeah <laughs> I mean, they named the guy
0: Takeda, which is the founder of the Shirai Ryu in Mythology's backstory, but he's possessed by, like, a magic scorpion from Outworld.
1: <laughs> they can all be winners. Look, it's more its more entertaining than Annihilation was, give it that. I, it is, I guess, but that's a real low bar. Look, it gave us oily Noob Saibot, and now we have Noob Saibot dripping shadows. It, it There's some kind of connection there if you squint, I swear to God.
0: Oh, we, You know what? We are going to have plenty of time to appreciate Conquest one day, sir. We're gonna do the, those episodes. I bought the
1: DVDs. I, I guess I have to watch them. We're gonna do it. We're not gonna do it soon, but we're gonna do it. <laughs> do you know what my motivation was when I bought Conquest on DVD? Was it the show? Was it to do lost episodes? No. It was not so much I have to watch this again so much as I should probably pick this up before it goes out of print.
0: Yeah. Probably. You know, I haven't thought of that. I should be getting on that DVD. I just have, like, RIP on my computer. Let's see if it's still possible to Amazon.com for you. I mean, even, even if it's out of sale, like... I could still I'm sure somebody's scalping it, you know.
1: <laughs> it's eleven ninety five on Amazon. Ah,
0: Get on it. I will do that.
1: <laughs> no, you're not.
0: Prove it. I'm way more excited about like commentary on conquest than you are.
1: Honestly, I'm kinda of looking forward to rediscovering it. You know what? I I don't remember. Before the D V D came out in the US, I actually had the Pal DVDs because I was convinced it was never going to come out here, and then it did. (laughs) I might still have those kicking around somewhere if I didn't give them away. I forget. Hmm. I'll investigate. All right. Well, so we haven't talked about Goro for about five minutes now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The about Goro. I mean, is there really anything else out there? Uh, he didn't show up no, in uh, the, mean, uh, the the TV series. The, the
0: cartoon was a sequel to the first movie, and he was dead, so he never shows up in it. We talked about the MKX comic, because it's sort of canon. I think that's pretty much it. So, I guess we could move on to, like... Questions? Yeah, let's do questions. I mean, unless you want to do first, like, favorite costume finishing move, that sort of thing.
1: Well, I feel like we kind of discussed this last time a little bit, but I guess that this, for me, really boils down to a choice between his classic look and MKX. Yeah. And it's a hard choice, actually.
0: The the pajamas with only one sleeve that are his deception alternate is not great.
1: (laughs) No, no. I, uh... Any outfit where Goro is wearing armor is just right off the list off the bat for me. Can't do it. Mm. It just doesn't look right. Yeah, I can feel that. Like, if if you introduce a Shokan whose thing is that he's, like, a great big powerful battlefield warmonger, then yeah, I'm all about that. But I feel like Goro needs to be, like, wearing nothing at all. <laughs> nothing at all. Part of his imagery is, like, a spancrashian Greek fighter. He doesn't need all that much. He should be, like... Getting in there, crushing skulls, kicking ass. Yeah, I always, I always got
0: kind of like a, a sumo vibe from it. Yeah, that too. But but yeah, like, the that's the weird thing, though. Like, because if you cover that look in his primary, and he's in a game, like all the modern games, everybody has at least two costumes. What the hell do you do
1: else with him? And really, I have a hard time choosing. I really do, because the MKX outfit really, really nailed it. I might actually have to give it to MKX over the Classic. I, I, do, I do like it a lot. I don't know, because the
0: classic is the same way as, like, an MK1 Retro Ninja outfit. Like, there's a time and a place.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would hope to see it back if they ever reboot it again, or when they reboot again. Maybe update it slightly, not to the degree that MKX's was changed. Yeah, somewhere in between. Like you said, the yin-yang feels right. Yeah. But best fatality. For fatalities, like...
0: I mean, he has them in other games, but they aren't really like the effort put in that the MKX ones have.
1: He pushed it in. That's all I need to say. <laughs> That's the best goddamn thing he's ever done. <laughs> it's nasty. It's hilarious. Makes me cringe. Easy choice. I dig it. So yeah, I guess I guess we pretty much covered him.
0: So we can go to uh, questions. Indeed. All right, the uh, the first one we have, and uh, this is way back in July,
1: so sorry it took so long, everybody. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry about the pneumonia. This is true. This is actually the first time you're going to be listening to us since that very, very long break. Uh, if you didn't read the YouTube comments, I had pneumonia and burnout, and it just took me a long, long, long time to get around to being in the condition to finish anything and do anything. And that's part of the reason that you're going to get the Goro episode much sooner than you're expecting, as you listen to it right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I want to make that up to you. My original plan and hope was to get all the MK1 characters done by the end of December. I don't know if that's going to happen, because with the two we have left, we have a lot of ground.
0: Yeah. But we'll see. I I we'll try our best. know that one every two weeks is what it would take.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I, although I do have the back half of December off, so I have plenty of free time around then. So I think that at the least we can get the next character done. Yeah. We'll see.
0: We could probably, like, at least do Scorpion and then start the year with the two sub-zeros.
1: That might be a good way to get into it. Sure, why not?
0: (laughs) All right, so the question. Uh, Cartoothalo. Frequent question. Ask her. (laughs) He, He asks, Do you think they should break up Cassie's team and have them go solo and do their own thing? if so, who benefits the most and who benefits the least? And he personally feels that Cassie benefits the least, while the other three would benefit more. Because, um, he says Cassie doesn't really have anything interesting left for her to do, whereas, like, Jin can save Kung Lao, and Takeda has the red dragon having killed his mom getting revenge, and uh, Jackie has, if uh, the endings come true, where Aaron Black killed Jax. That's something for her. But, like, there it feels like there's nothing for Cassie, he says. So what do you think?
1: I think that they absolutely do need to split up. It says a little something when people just tend to call them the combat kids as a group. Yeah. And everyone needs their own odyssey, and everyone needs to be developed. I mean... And I think that you could extend that to Cassie as well. Yeah, because like... Because she was just kind of, like, Lady McProtagonist. The the big... Like, there's this big
0: difference in how it feels uh, to have, like, the group of Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, Sonya Raiden from the first game versus how the the feel of the group, Cassie, Jackie, Jen, and Takeda. And that's because, like, when we were introduced to Liu, Johnny, and Sonya... They weren't really a team. They were just individuals who were united by a common cause. Yeah. Like, the Avengers. Or the Justice League. As opposed to, like, Cassie and and her group are a team first and individuals second. And that's the problem.
1: This is kind of, I think, one of the big reasons why no one gives a shit about Alpha Flight. Mm. It's not just because they're all loser Canadians.
0: I mean, you can you can have teams that are a team first, like uh, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men. Not all of the Teen Titans, because Robin is definitely his own guy, and they've tried to make Cyborg his own guy, but the Teen Titans are mostly only good as a team.
1: <laughs> most of those guys, though. Most of those X-Men, the Fantastic Four... They've all had their own histories, yeah, they've like... all had the benefit of years and years of storytelling to build up their universes and their their own backyards like the Thing has, Yance, like the Yancey Street gang. Yeah, like,
0: the, thi- the Thing is, like, you can take the Fantastic Four and give the Thing his own book if you want to, and people will go for that, because the Thing is so interesting, and, like, especially one of the things about the X-Men is that Wolverine always sort of dominates... X Men like movies and cartoons and stuff, because he's the most able to stand out as an individual. He doesn't need the team to carry his stories.
1: He's probably got more backstory than most of the X Men combined.
0: Yeah, and like that—that is definitely something that uh, Cassie's team needs. Um, There's there's a couple things that Cassie's team needs. One of them is like I don't want them to stop being a team, because I want. Frost to join the team, and that can't happen if there's no team.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very altruistic reasons. Uh, But I mean, she's a natural candidate.
0: I actually, I think I think that the person who benefits the least from them splitting up is Jackie, because everything benefits Jackie the least, no matter what it is. She is the least developed character. Like, Cassie on her own could still exist as this generation's main hero like that's boring but that's kind of what she was created to be i feel like so that's what they can do with her like so she sort of doesn't need sidekicks to keep making bosses look stupid
1: (laughs) she has the benefit of parents and coming from a broken home and has the groundwork For the future. Yeah,
0: also, also, one of the things that we complain about with the combat kids is that they all kind of have the same personality. It's like the Ninja Turtles with four Michelangelos. It's a problem.
1: They're all antsy and full of piss and vinegar, and they all have something to prove, right, you know? They all quip and joke too much, is really, and
0: like, the person who owns quipping and joking, the one who should be quipping and joking, is Cassie, because she's Johnny's daughter. Exactly. And so like, if you separate them, she has ownership of the team personality <laughs> and the other three have to get their
1: own thing, which is one of the reasons I actually say that I think that they should throw Jackie to the wolves a little bit.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, her dad doesn't necessarily have to die, but she could stand to, I don't know, get up there and make some personal enemies, have shit happen. Kung Jin and takeda at least got the benefit of a couple of cut and backstory each and jackie's is like oh my dad doesn't want me to go to the army he's gonna kill me yeah that but, uh.
0: every, every line out of her mouth is my dad this my dad that fighter mac for my dad yeah the only thing she has of her own is a romance with takeda and there's zero chemistry there it is so out of left field <laughs> I think she could stand to go on, like, a Cyrax-esque odyssey. I mean, the best way to fix them, and it's too late to do this, would be to introduce them differently. Because I maintain that one of the problems with Jackie is also her moveset. The fact that she's a punches and gauntlets character, and that being too similar to Jax's metal arms. And I, I think that she should have been introduced as someone who was, like... Injured in an outworld attack and lost her legs and has prosthetic legs. Because then she'd be all robot legs and kicking, which is similar to Jack's thematically, but completely different moves. I don't know about robot legs. it's too late. It's too late. This
1: is what we have to live with. (laughs) They could still do it. But I would actually maybe take the opportunity to, I guess, kind of develop on that angle that they never seem to get around to really using with Jack's. Which is to maybe integrate her into the net or the framework or the matrix or whatever the hell you know so to, to play it. with
0: those endings where he becomes yeah cyborg from the teen titans and logs
1: on pretty from... much like i would not mind seeing that at all i feel like metal legs are just a bit too safe really take it to the next level i feel like if you're gonna turn someone into
0: like an internet-based car- like a hacker you first have to establish that they are smart enough to be a hacker. And Jackie, like, she's not dumb, but she's just a regular person. She's not a computer nerd. Like, mm. Takeda, if anything, is the tech guy of the team.
1: They just gave everyone else so much to fucking work
0: with. Yeah, like, like you know? I, I talk about them all being the same Ninja Turtle, but it's really that they're all half the same Ninja Turtle and half their own. So, like, uh, Cassie is Leo and Mike. Jackie is Leo and Mike. Jin is Raph and Mike. And Takeda is Donatello and Mike.
1: (laughs) Out of all four Ninja Turtles, you had to duplicate that one. (laughs) Come on, guys. He's just a party dude. (laughs) So, next question? Uh, The
0: next question is... What if the Raiden from Armageddon, like the one in the first scene of MK9, is actually trying to, like, play out a corrupt agenda when he sends the vision to MK9 Raiden? Like, he he wanted Raiden to screw up the things on purpose? My answer to that—this question is from The Rival—my um, answer to that is that it's something that people suggested on the internet— a lot back in 2011 when the game came out, as an attempt to justify all the stupid writing and plot holes that are in MK9. And I think that, like, it's admirable that you're trying, but there's no way that was what they intended. It's not bad on purpose, it's just bad.
1: <laughs> he was corrupt, not stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way things panned out doesn't really make Earth the militaristic, safe society that Dark Raiden seems to want it to be. So, I gotta say no.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's really no hint in the MK9 cutscenes that Dark Raiden was actually dark. Like, he acted like regular Raiden, just wearing Dark Raiden's costume. And that's actually a a minor complaint I have with the writing of that one scene that he's in, that he should have acted darker. (laughs) Give him redder eyes and a big old angry gritted teeth grimace. Like, he should have been saying some, like, villain shit to Shao Kahn. Like, that fight should have been heel versus heel, and that's not how they staged it at all.
1: So Rain Reptile asks us... Are other realms, such as Outworld, Edenia, or Order Realm, actually different dimensions or just different planets in the distant reaches of our own cosmos? If the realms are separate universes, do they also have their own star systems, galaxies, and laws of physics? What would the cosmic universe of Chaos Realm look like? Now, caveat, like he says, uh, during the Sony retrospective we kind of answered a similar question, but we can still at least answer the one about the laws of physics and astronomy.
0: Yeah, because he asks about um, Chaos Realm in particular, and that's an interesting one to ask about because the games actually do say that the laws of physics don't work right in the realm of Chaos. Yeah. There's a whole origin story to that that's given in Deception Conquest when you go there. And, like, Shujinko runs around talking to people. And what you find out is that Chaos Realm used to be a normal realm like Earth. But one day, the God of Chaos showed up, and he created this giant energy tornado called the Tempest, which is um, the big tornado in the center of the Conquest map. And it turned the realm into Chaos Realm. So now it's like not a planet anymore, it's just floating chunks of rock in space that all spin around that tornado in orbit. And, like, you can only get from place to place with those teleporter pads that Shujinko uses to travel. There's all kinds of, like, other signs of this. Like, you go to a graveyard in Chaos Realm, and all the tombstones are floating in the air upside down. Like, they don't bury people. They have floating sarcophaguses, because that's the opposite of burying someone. <laughs> and, like... They go up. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure, like, the, there are pyramids, but they're upside down, too? Like, they're balanced on their point or something? Not sure, but you might also be thinking of Sado. Well, Sado does have, like, a big pyramid in the center.
1: But I think there's, there's like, Ziggurat-style pyramids in Chaos Realm. There's concept art of Sado where you can see that it's basically a series of straight floating pyramids. Cyberpunk cities floating in the yeah. sky.
0: And that's that concept artist from MK9's um, Challenge Tower. And I always thought that was really cool because I I feel like Order Realm should have more technology. I feel like being good at math and science is very orderly and fits (laughs) Sato. And also, like, the theme of cyberpunk is always, like, being in a a fascist, very heavily controlled uh, society, and that fits Sato, too.
1: I would be very down with Mecha Hotaru. (laughs) Man, that is fun to say. Mecha Hotaru. <laughs> Mecha Hotaru. It is fun. Fuck hashtag Principane. Hashtag Mecha Hotaru.
0: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like so so the laws of physics are broken in Chaos Realm. And that's part of like the theme of Chaos Realm is that nobody follows the law there. Everybody does the opposite that goes for the laws of nature as well. Like, the reason Havoc has, like, half of his face missing, there are citizens all over Chaos Realm with chunks of flesh missing. They all look like zombies. And that's because they don't die, because death is a law of nature, and you
1: don't follow the law in Chaos Realm. <laughs> Which, you know, kind of makes you wonder, like the question asks, what would the cosmic universe of Chaos Realm look like? And the answer is, I'd be very afraid to find out. For all I know, they don't have billions of kilometers of empty space between stars. They have chunks of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> it's plausible. It is. I don't know. I,
0: so I think, I think, though, that, like, MK, there's a reason that they don't talk about outer space in MK. And what they're going for is probably the idea that, like... If you're in Earth Realm and you're on the planet Earth, which is in the dimension called Earth Realm, the reason you're not going to other planets in Earth Realm is because they're uninhabited. Aliens don't actually exist, but people in other dimensions do. So like planets are out there. Like Mars is in Earth Realm.
1: So you define like Earth Realm as essentially being like the yeah. our entire universe. Yes,
0: the, the realm of Earth is the dimension Earth is in. That's fair. And I mean that's this is basically canon because you they talk about what portals do is they rip open holes in the fabric between dimensions, and that's what the elder gods don't want, and that's what unbalancing the furies, that term from the old games, actually meant.
1: Yeah.
0: Was there's there's a fabric between dimensions that you have to tear a hole in to get from Earth to Outworld, and it's like a bad thing to do. Because like those walls between dimensions are the fabric of reality, and you're unraveling it, and that's that doesn't sound good, does it?
1: <laughs> I would venture to say that most realms, like I'm guessing Idenia and Outworld, their space and their star systems are probably not all that different. Yeah, Chaos like realm is probably the major different baby, because you can see some stages in Outworld at night, like there are stars up there, there's a moon up there. yeah. And
0: it's, it's not, like, too weird an alien. Like, Outworld only has one moon, it seems like, so it's very similar to Earth. The planet itself looks weird because Shao Kahn has been mashing it together with other planets in other dimensions. Yeah.
1: I do think there is a mention in one of the, obviously non-canon Malibu comics... Of Outworld having two moons. Yeah,
0: I mean, if if you were designing a weird monster dimension, you would give it more than one moon. So it's actually kind of impressive the restraint that Midway showed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't mind it, but I think it is a bit too late for that now. Yeah, but I also think, like,
0: it's almost like there's an argument that could be made that, like, Outworld is an alternate Earth. And Edenia is an alternate Earth.
1: Careful, you're getting into Queen Anos territory.
0: <laughs> I'd be okay. You with knew that. I was gonna do
1: there. I'd, I'd, I'd kinda be okay with that. <laughs> Can't wait to meet up with ski slack Busores. <laughs> Alright, so, car to the low again. Do you wanna see premier skins in MK11? And if so, which characters should have one? For example, Sub Zero's premier skin is Frost.
0: That specific example is... I don't know if impossible is the term, but I know that NRS has said they will not do that because female bodies are smaller than male ones, and it would make both the body language, like the animations, weird, and it would make the hitboxes fucking wrong. So you specifically can't turn Sub-Zero into Frost because he's a guy... And she's a girl, and they have very differently shaped bodies. That said, I think the problem with the idea of premiere skins is that very few characters in Mortal Kombat share moves like that. Like, it's very easy to do with uh, comic book characters, because clone characters are super common in comics. You always have sidekicks who have the same powers as the main hero, and you always, always have villains who are evil versions of the main hero. You know, there's always a Reverse Flash or a Venom or a Sinestro to your Green Lantern or a Bizarro to your Superman. There's tons of characters like that in comics, but there's almost none like that in MK. And the only exception is, like, Jarek and Kira, and people
1: don't like them for specifically that reason. There's a few characters it could work with. For me, it would depend on how they use it because... I feel like this is, for example, the only way we're ever going to see, say, female chameleon or male chameleon mm. ever again. Maybe. As, like, a skin or, like, meat for everyone or something. Yeah, like, that could
0: kind of work. I think a way to do it is sort of what Triborg is, where the premier skin is also tied to a variation. Or, like, if if Mournful katana actually were Jade... So Kitana and Jade would have the same normals, but different specials. And I feel, like, I feel like that's a cop-out for a lot of people who are fans of those characters. Like, someone who's a Jade fan doesn't want to play Kitana with a few different moves. They want Jade to be her own whole character.
1: That would be a very different story for those of us who have gotten into fighting games in more recent times. For me, I'd be like, heck. Eh. It's like coming home to UMK3 again.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: So I wouldn't I wouldn't entirely hate it. Although, with the proviso that I would prefer that every character be as unique as possible. I will gladly
0: remind the audience that in Mortal Kombat 4, every character has the same normals. There's Everyone. one set of normals in that game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it would be a cop-out by modern standards. But I'd be way more leaning because I'm old.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be forgiving of it. I just think a lot... Like, too many people would complain for it to be worth it.
1: It would be a shitstorm. So, save it for characters no one really cares about. Like, like I don't mind if... If we lived in a universe
0: where anyone gave a shit about seeing No-Face again. <laughs> I wouldn't mind him being a premiere skin for Sector.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> NetherRealm Studios. $50. That is what I'll pay for a no-face skin for sector. $50. Do you good hear me? Luck with that shit. I'll give you the money. Alright. Man. What the fuck is up with Cabal's buzz saws? How do they fucking work? Look, man. <laughs> that is a good fucking question. You phrased it. You phrased it like you don't already know what <laughs> how they work. Have we been down this road on the air?
0: Miracles, son. Did we talk last episode about the fucking magnets? (laughs) Like, I feel like Cabal came up during the Kano episode when I was bitching about the cannonball.
1: That too. So,
0: yeah, man, fucking magnets.
1: (laughs) I promise, we're gonna have a Cabal retrospective one day, and that will last us a half an hour. (laughs) The stupidity of Cabal's moveset will last us at least a half an hour. It's going to be wonderful. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) From the pit three's bottom, fresh to his hands. (laughs) So Blight Phoenix asks. Hi, Blight Phoenix.
0: Uh, Which do you think is a worse way to go story-wise with the Melina clone situation? That Devorah killed a clone or that a clone is taking the place of the one that was killed? I think that's a weird question because the clones weren't even said to exist until after Melina was dead. Melina clearly doesn't know about the clones in her arcade ending until she wakes up as one.
1: So how could she have replaced herself with a clone if she didn't know they existed? (laughs) I mean, technically, option number one already happened because Melina is a clone. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Waka waka!
0: You know the the movie, the um, Michael Keaton movie Multiplicity, where if you clone a clone, they come out dumber? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Like, the the DNA starts to degrade and they come out with birth defects.
1: (laughs) So, Melina, will you help us rule out Ruled? I like chocolate milk. Pudding hat. Bloop.
0: <laughs> oh my god. That's that's I'm almost sorry. too tragic a character.
1: <laughs> I shouldn't find this as funny as I do. It's, it's really like... I'm sure there are people who are offended. <laughs> Folks, we will never again mention Derpina on the show. <laughs> I'm a Derpina. bad person. I'm a bad, bad person.
0: (laughs) I want I want fan art cover where like the eyes don't point in the same direction.
1: to god we can do it okay holy shit we have reached a new low <laughs> i didn't think it was possible i'm having trouble breathing we'll be right back all right so um did we actually answer that question uh i actually feel like it's been answered <laughs> okay snake eyes what is a series with lore that you wanted to learn that you find impenetrable? I think it's a very good question. Yeah, actually. um,
0: I mean, that's that's hard for me because I'm really good at, like, digging in and learning lore no matter how stupid and overcomplicated it is. And, like, the there are series that I know have lore that's too complicated, but I don't want to learn it because, like, Kingdom Hearts would be the big one. And it's just like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> this is not for me. This is for... There, there's a group of people that Kingdom Hearts is for, and I'm just not in it.
1: <laughs> I gave a real shit about Kingdom Hearts once upon a time. And it's not that I thought the series turned to crap or anything. It's just that when you start giving me 30 dozen Game Boy Advance offs Yeah, and... I start losing patience. I
0: watched, I watched like, a joke video by um, Video Game Dunkey the other day where he summarizes the plot of all the Kingdom Hearts games. And it's, like, 95% the truth and, like, 5% jokes. And apparently, like, by this point in that game's lore, there are, like, five different versions of Sora. Why? <laughs> like, it's... I don't even... Care about the what anymore, I want to know the why. Why did the writers write this?
1: (laughs) For me, it's not that I find it hard or anything, it's just that I have never been able to give much of a crap about Resident Evil. I kind of feel like there's only so many ways you can take a zombie infection plot. Yeah, like,
0: Resident Evil is not complex. It's just that some of the games are bad, so you disconnect.
1: I know at some point, Part 4 was not related to the rest of them. That was a whole different strain of virus. Yeah, like so pretty much after 2 and
0: 3, where Raccoon City has been nuked off the map, that's kind of the end of Umbrella as the villain. And then it's always like people who were on the board of directors for Umbrella who have started new companies. Like, um... Oh, boy. Tricell. And I I sort of feel like it's just... It's gone on a little too long. And I think the biggest sign when Resident Evil has gone on longer than it's worth it is the fact that Albert Wesker's now dead. I think he was the only really good villain, and killing him off should have been the end of the series.
1: All right. I'm gonna give another shout-out to, actually, the Dark Souls universe. Mm. now that also ties in with my really really wanting to play more dark souls than the first one that's a good example i think of how you really integrate lore into your world dark souls has a way of like going show but don't really tell much and you have to go out of your way as you're exploring the game to find things and put notes together you need to check the wiki for complete details
0: with with a few exceptions, there kind of aren't cutscenes in Dark Souls games. And it's all very much like... Um, talk to a dying guy who's lying on the side of the road and listen to his story of how he got here and why he's dying. And it turns out to be connected to other things. Or pick up a famous artifact weapon and read its biography in your menu and learn stuff about the world from that. And that's an interesting way to go about it. But I I have um joked some in the discord that I'm not really a fan of Dark Souls. I don't like the art style and I'm not really good enough at video games to get very far in from soft games. Um so it's it's another thing where it's like Kingdom Hearts where it's like I'm sure that you know, there is a fan base for this, obviously, who likes it very much. It's just not for me. The There is, I can think of, I think, one franchise where I would like to get into it. And it's not that the lore is too complicated. It's just that there's too much and I don't have the time. And that is Gundam. Because I do like giant robots. Who don't? You dig giant robots. I dig giant robots. Chicks dig giant robots. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I don't have enough free time to watch that much anime. (laughs) That's all it is.
1: As a general rule, I don't allow myself to watch old shows that have gone on for 200 plus episodes. I don't have that kind of time or dedication. So I will never get into Bleach. I will never get into Naruto, and I will sure as fuck never get into One Piece because Monkey D. Luffy's face gives me nightmares. (laughs) You put that thing on the Majora's Mask Moon, and I'm going to wet myself if I see it Mm -hmm.
0: in the sky. They're very similar. (laughs) Oh, oh, I can think of a couple other things. Okay, there was like several years ago, I dropped off of following IDW's Transformers comics, and now I feel like there's too much for me to go back and catch up.
1: There has been a lot that has happened there since a couple of years ago. Like, did you drop off before or after More They Meets the I Star I so I dropped off
0: I think I got through um All Hail Megatron and the status quo where they introduced Spike as like oh a military God. guy who was working with Bumblebee on Earth. I'm and so stuff. sorry.
1: I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's been a really long time, man. <laughs> Those were the dark ages, man. That's that's why I dropped off, yeah. I could barely get through it. I was this close to dropping everything, and then uh, James Roberts' More Than Meets the eye started, and John Barber's R.I.D. started, Robots in Disguise, and they just kind of lifted the series out of the whole quagmire it was in. But the problem there is James basically single-handedly added 30,000 different terms and subjects to the lexicon. And he revolutionized all of the ITW backstory to start going into class warfare and um, punishment and crime and lobotomies. Like, basically, Shockwave looks the way he does because he was punished for going against the Senate. That's why he has one gun hand and one eye on his head. It's to mark him as a criminal.
0: Yeah, like, I, I know little bits of that, and I know, like, about the, the status quo where um, Megatron joined Rodimus's ship as, like, yeah. a, an atonement sort of thing, and Starscream, and what's the, like, the female one who's, like, her faction was, like, neutral in the war, and they're, like, political leaders on Cybertron after the war is finally declared over.
1: Oh, uh, you're talking about Wimbled?
0: Yeah, that's the one.
1: Yeah, you basically dropped off about halfway through the whole thing, and then it got really involved from that point on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it just feels like too much to ever catch back up.
1: They're going to be rebooting it starting next year. That might be a good time to hop back on.
0: Okay. I mean, I, it's a bummer because I know that some of the stuff that's happened recently towards the end has been really good, and like you and uh, Chrome have talked a lot about it on the Discord, and I kind of wish I could share in that.
1: Oh, man. I could go on for a half an hour about about Shockwave and Onyx Prime. I really could. That issue was up there, like that revelation, not to get too far into things, but
0: yeah.
1: it was up there with some of the greatest comic reveals I've ever seen. It was beautiful.
0: <laughs> I, I will also say, just before we finish up on this question, is that, um, like, I know Soul Calibur really well, but not so much 4 and 5, just because I stopped caring
1: I was gonna mention Soul Calibur, but I felt that uh Dark Souls and Resident Evil were my two barriers I really, really couldn't get into. I could get into Soul Calibur and I was briefly after like two I stopped caring to. The mythology itself is pretty fun and interesting and involved, but we just kind of parted ways, I mean Soul mm. Calibur. Nothing against it but I feel like for me it was the moment that Siegfried became the main hero
0: and he got like that giant crystal sword version of Soul Calibur. Mm. I don't like Siegfried that much, and I wish that, like, Killig and Shanghua were still the main characters.
1: They actually made him the main character? Yeah. Did they really do that? Yeah. That's pretty fucking dumb.
0: Yeah, like, it, it, in their minds, it was supposed to be, like, a big redemption arc, because Nightmare had become its own entity for him to fight physically, and I just, I get what they're going for, and I just don't care. Like, I don't like Siegfried. <laughs>
1: He was only interesting to me as an alternate costume in the short time I was with the series. Yeah. Um, quick shoutouts, I wish I could unlearn most of what I've learned about Zelda lore and Mega Man lore outside of the Standard and X. <laughs> I love the Mega Man Legends series, but when it comes to like NT Warrior and all that stuff, I, I just, I, I can't care. I can't. So, Christmas Milk. Were the two Sub-Zeros close as brothers, or were they distant OG timeline-wise? We've never, like,
0: seen them together outside of like as enemies, as as Sub-Zero and Noob Cybot. So I'm inclined to think that there was a distance between them when they were both in the Lin Kuei. I think it was like the older Sub-Zero, Bihan, was very much um a loner and very emotionally closed off and hard to deal with as a person. Like, he was basically an asshole, like, very selfish. And I think, I think Quailiang Liang wanted there to be a closer relationship between the two of them, and probably in his head romanticizes his relationship with his brother and thinks they were close. But clearly Bihan doesn't think very much of Quailiang. Liang.
1: That's pretty much the way I've always looked at it, too. I think he sees him as weak, soft. Mm. But clearly, Kuai Liang still gives enough of a shit to keep on going out there and trying to save him. One of the things I do remember is that he makes a point of saying, once uh, they've got Noob beaten, is that he's my brother, I have to do this, I have yeah. to save him.
0: Yeah, that's kind of, kind of Kuai Liang's thing. That's why I like him so much, is that he's a he's this character who started out as like, I work for an assassin clan and I don't really like it, and then he becomes one of the most like optimistic and positive hero figures in the franchise. And like he's always giving people second chances, and always believing the best in any, everyone, and always thinking I can save them and they won't betray me. Like he thinks that he thinks that Frost is a better person than she is. He has no problem trusting Serena, even though she's a demon. And you know he wants to save Smoke from being a robot. He wants to save his brother from de- being noob
1: cybot. That probably is his biggest weakness. He wants to save everyone.
0: Yeah. And. Yeah. And I also think, like, it's it's his most endearing quality. Because I like a hero. I'm, you know, yeah. I, I'm also a big Liu Kang fan. We had a whole episode where I was very upset that he's a dead villain these days.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I like a good guy. It's refreshing, you know? Big part of the reason I hate Injustice. <laughs> I love Superman. But I you find Injustice Superman as interesting as the regular?
0: Eh, I mean, he's... I, I can't say he's not interesting. He is interesting. And they have, I think, like in their in the moments like in Justice 2 where him and Batman have to work together to fight Brainiac, I think there's an interesting dynamic there. I just we could get past the grim and gritty depictions of the DC universe because they're bleeding into other media and it's just becoming it's becoming what people think DC is all about, and that's not right.
1: They tried. I remember, like, some point after Infinite Crisis, Selina had a kid, and then Batman bought her a teddy bear. But two months later, he was back to being a dick. Yeah, they can't ungrim themselves. It's proving it's mostly just because
0: Dan DeDio, the editor in chief of DC, really, really likes it gritty.
1: Yet he's a huge fan of the Silver Age.
0: Yeah, but but like, if you if you listen to him talk about like any time he talks about how he wants the editors to run the Teen Titans books. He likes it when they kill a bunch of them off for shock. Like every run of Teen Titans since Jeff Johns has been like just a murder fest. It's just terrible. So Heather Chandler's next question: She asks, "I wonder if Tanya knows that Rain planned to betray Melina." And and Heather's opinion is that she she wasn't in on it. I think that Tanya was probably totally in on it. Like I can understand especially because the Melina-Tanya relationship is kind of the MK Universe's only current representation of a lesbian relationship. I can see why somebody would want to see that be, like, genuinely romantic and believe that they had real feelings for each other. And I think I think Melina's feelings were probably real, although they were mostly lust. I think Tanya just straight-up uses people. I don't know that she's capable. Like, she might be... A
1: clinical sociopath. I'd strike might be from that statement. I don't think Tanya has friends. Yeah. I don't think that there's a single person throughout the entirety of the MK universe that she actually displays real affection and loyalty towards. Tanya lives for Tanya. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, I, could, I
0: can imagine a depiction where we get deeper into who Tanya is as a person, and we could actually see her care about somebody. But I don't think that happened in MKX.
1: I kind of think Tanya's got a seriously screwed up background story, which is waiting to be told.
0: I always thought it was fairly simple. Like, if if the Tanya that you're depicting is just straight out of mk4 i think there's a very obvious reason that she is the way she is because we i mean we don't know much about her what we do know is that she grew up in the edenian rebellion in outworld she never worked for shao khan she was always like with the resistance and when katana and sindel freed edenia at the end of mk3 they made tanya's father an ambassador because I don't know if he was already a member of the royal court 10,000 years ago before Khan came along, or if it was just because he was an important leader in the resistance. But whatever he was, he was noble enough to be like in the royal court, and so Tanya is the daughter of a noble. And what I think is that part of it is just raw jealousy, just like, yes, I have some power in the court, but it's very minor. I would love to be in charge. And part of it, I think, is imagine growing up in the resistance. 10,000 years of history where Katana is an assassin who kills your people for Shao Kahn. In everybody's mind, she is the daughter of the Emperor of Outworld. And then one day she turns around and goes, Now, I was faking for a really long time. I'm actually with you guys. And they make her princess, and they, they put her and Sindel on the throne. How would you feel knowing that your princess spent most of her life killing your people? Fair point. So I think Tanya has a legitimate reason to hate Kitana, and that's what most of her motivation was in MK4. This timeline's Tanya, I think, is just straight up figuring nobody's left to rule Edenia, so when we bring it back, of course it's gonna be me.
1: Now what do you think happened to her dad?
0: Um, I don't know, I think... In the new timeline, he might not even exist. Like, he might have died off-screen a long time ago. Her backstory could be completely different because it is a reboot, and they're free to do that if they want, especially because they probably don't remember her MK4 bio.
1: Not like it's not out there to see at any given point in time. Yeah, but
0: they don't research things. You know, they don't. Like, all you have to do to know anything is to go to MK Warehouse, and they just don't.
1: A Life Without Friends... 10,000-year-long life is a hard thing, I would imagine. I find it difficult to believe that she could become a sociopath just because of one person. I think that she lost her entire family. That's possible. And had a very, very hard life during the Rebellion. It's also possible that she
0: lost her family directly to Kitana, because if you're a Edenian nobles, then you're high-ranking in the resistance, and those are the high-priority targets an assassin would be sent after.
1: I kind of tend to think that Tanya has lived much of her life fending for herself and kind of doing whatever a survivor needs to do to get by. Growing up an assassin, murder... She's definitely in Deception. They push the idea
0: that she considers herself a survivor, someone who will do whatever it
1: takes to make it. And I think that there's specific reasons for that. Like I said, screwed up backstory. Yeah. Next question...
0: Uh, why did Mavado attack Cabal in Deadly Alliance? Uh, I understand his main motive was to take out Black Dragons, but Cabal was already long gone at that point, and thus not a prime target compared to guys like Tremor and Taja. Uh, so my answer to that is fairly simple. I think, in the minds of the Red Dragon Clan, once a Black Dragon, always a Black Dragon. And That's all there is to Lovato's it. job is to erase the Black Dragons from history because the fact that they exist is an insult to the Red Dragons. Because there's there's this whole backstory about how a hundred years ago the Black Dragon gang was formed by a bunch of people who were in the Red Dragon clan and decided it was too strict and they didn't like it, so they were going to start their own clan with booze and hookers. <laughs>
1: It's essentially the Shi Ryu and the Lin Kuei. The source does not like the apple falling off of the tree.
0: With the Lin Kuei, it's specifically this thing of you're going to take our fighting style and you're going to go teach it to other people. You're going to steal from us what we gave you. With the red dragons and the black dragons, I feel like it's like you're mocking us. You're We, we pride ourselves in discipline and you're over here... In the slums getting dirty with and just like drinking and whoring and being pocket fucking pickers. You're you're better than this. We're better than this. And you by doing this, wearing our logo is an insult. <laughs> <laughs> so Mavado is totally like, I'm going to kill all of these people. I'm going to make it so nobody remembers they were ever born. No one will know that this happened. And our reputation will be clean. And that's why he goes after Cabal, even though Cabal is not a black dragon anymore.
1: This is a guy who lives his entire life and his clan's life off the books. The red dragon are that secretive. There's no real public records of them, so to speak. They're not well known as criminals and thugs like the black dragon are. But it's not enough for them to exist. Nothing has to exist.
0: Yeah. There can't be any trace of them. They have to be they have to be wiped from the pages of history. Egyptian style and I think like so that's that's definitely how the red dragons in general feel about the black dragons. but I think for Mavato in particular as a character who has almost no personality, I think the fact that he's got like that that Spanish conquistador armor, and the fact that he's got, like, this little bit of story to him, it sort of paints a picture in my head of someone who's, like, a Knight Templar. Like, he's he's in the Crusades. This is a holy war to him. That's how exactly. serious he takes it.
1: It's all he's got to go on. Yeah. So, car to the low. In MKX, instead of having the combat kids be protagonists, what four characters would you have preferred to be protagonists? He would have chosen Liu Kang, Kitana, Serena, and Sub-Zero. Um, so... If, if we were doing
0: MKX different so that uh, classic characters were the main, I would have made a more straight-up remake of MK4. My main characters would be... Um, Scorpion and Sub-Zero would be the main characters in terms of fighting Quan Chi. And in terms of fighting Shinnok, it would be Raiden. But also, like, Liu Kang and Kai would have a big hand in helping Raiden. So I guess that's my answer.
1: I'd keep Scorpion roughly the same, so he'd be one of my four. Assuming the combat kids didn't exist at all, I would say Scorpion, Johnny Cage, probably Sub-Two, and... I think Sub-Zero deserves it. I I mean,
0: Scorpion is the most loud about how Quan Chi has wronged him but I think Quan Chi has wronged Sub-Zero just as much if you consider how much he has, like, manipulated his and his brother's lives.
1: You know what? I'd say the two ninjas, I would still keep Lu and Katana dead, assuming that MK9 happened the way it did. I would say Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Johnny Cage, and, wait for it, Fujin. Because I'd have Raiden's role be entirely different than it was in MKX.
0: Mm.
1: Not that I disliked how they used him, But I always felt that there should have been more of a point and that he had to answer for a lot of what he screwed up.
0: That's true. Like, if if we're doing it as a sequel to Nine, I would have painted Raiden as more uh, being punished by the Elder Gods at some point. So that, like, Fujin would have a more prominent role, yeah.
1: If not punished by the Elder Gods, I would have had him also at least voluntarily give up his position and live off in exile or something. Like, given up his powers, become immortal again, that would, and fucked off in shame. That
0: would be a good way to go, because it would, like, if he was voluntarily um, expressing contrition, it would make him look like less of an asshole, but for sure, yeah.
1: It always bugged me that, like, the only thing he came from MK9 was an ongoing sense of guilt. But he kept his job. I mean, he did fuck up a lot of things. He's like the store manager who's just driven the chain into bankruptcy, but somehow he's still employed it, it really like i mean they,
0: they're they're pushing much too hard the idea that the other gods don't give a shit in this timeline
1: yeah so mkt leon do you think when all is said and done that this trilogy may be as controversial among the fan base as a 3d era trilogy was Um, I think judging by how people react
0: to MKX now, just a few years after the release, my answer to that would be yes. There are definitely people who are like, MKX is one of the best. And there are definitely people who are like, MKX is worse than 9, MKX is like this and this and this. And, I mean, the truth, as with all things, lies somewhere in the middle, because the, there are people who are like, hey, I liked the, th- the 3D era games. And then there are a bunch of people who are like, that was the, the Dark Ages. And it's opinions. The answer is somewhere in the middle. Nothing is ever perfect, but it's also not as shitty as you say it is, usually. So yeah, I think, I think they will be remembered mixed.
1: Probably leaning more towards fondly than not, but somewhat mixed. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say not at all because what the mk fan base is has definitely changed over time and it has incorporated a lot of people who are deep into the fighting game aspect of it and the tech and professional competitions and tournaments so the fan base isn't us 40 weirdos on mk online discussing lore anymore i think that going forward x9 and whatever 11 turns out to be are going to be remembered as the ones that put MK back on the right path with a certain amount of flaws. I think 9 will be
0: remembered that way even though like story-wise it doesn't deserve it, but as a game, like as a video game, it definitely does. Yeah. But I think I think there are people who complain somewhat louder than it deserves about X and I think they're not uncommon.
1: X wasn't perfect. 9 is generally agreed upon to be the better overall game in most respects. But it was still a fine game. Yeah, no, I actually, um, I love playing
0: 9. I I would go back to 9 any day.
1: Same. Uh, should we call that it for the night? We've still got a few more questions. We've gone
0: through quite a few questions. And, I mean, if we do all of them, and then we we do Scorpion really soon, we might not have stocked back up.
1: All right, so now is a good time to uh, hop into our Discord channel and toss us more questions on the last questions uh, chat area, room, thing. <laughs> See, thing is, I just said channel. I don't want to say a channel inside a channel. That sounds wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. Literally.
1: No, I'm something of a channel myself. Yeah, back home. Back home. <laughs> <laughs> How lucky for them. Back. all right guys that's it for the night thank you all for tuning in uh we appreciate you listening we appreciate you sticking with us during this dry spell of ours as we all wait for the hopefully inevitable reveal of mk11 at some point soon we'll see you before the year is up to be covered in scorpions razor anything to add uh just this
0: done done Dun I. Do I do dun
1: like
0: done done
1: dun 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 Okay so seriously ya. like Why hasn't this been covered by our resident musician yet? Yeah what the hell man? <laughs> like, get on this, Django. Get on it. Fuck can do it already. What are you doing with your life? Just do it! Stop dreaming it and do it! Don't don't let my memes be dreams. <laughs> oh Christ! Imagine Goro doing the Shia LaBeouf thing with all four arms right now. <laughs> that's what I want to be your last mental image going off of this podcast. Good night, everybody. Ah, <laughs> oh, good
0: night.